I won't settle for anything less than the brutal truth. Brutal. Brutal. Each day I'll hand you a scrap of paper. It'll tell you what happened to you that day. You felt a lump in your breast. You looked at your wife and saw a stranger, etc. Hayden. What? When are we going to get an audience in here? It's been 17 years. All right. I'm not excusing myself from this either. I will have someone play me to delve into the murky, cowardly depths of my lonely, fucked up being. And he'll get notes too, and those notes will correspond to the notes I truly receive every day from my God. Get to work! Hello there, and welcome to Pivotal Film. I am Tom Nolan. And I'm Mario Ponzio, and this is it. I'm just letting it sink in. Yeah. This is the last list movie, Mario. Yeah, we made it. God. We made it. I And we'll, we're going to talk about this in, in a second, about that comment, and I think we both kind of share it. Um, but, I, you know, this just took this took forever, but Three we years. finished it. I mean, it's just, it's weird. It's like a weird... <laughs> thing to have kind of come to the end of this thing um because people i don't know if like people do this to you but people will be like how's that podcast going and i'd be like fine and they'd be like what number are you at and i'd be like 30 something and they're like still and i'm just like yeah it's it's going we do two movies a week from our list you know but we're just yeah it just takes time well people were impressed we're like bang- like all the people i told were impressed we were just banging through it a lot of people thought we would have like kind of pulled back or kind of grown weary of it by this oh, point. Oh, oh, oh. Let's 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 have let's have some beers first and then we can talk about weariness. Yeah. Um I I tried really hard for this beer. I um my first instinct was to get a front porch brewing beer because that was the first beer we did. We did Finger Gun mm. on episode zero it was the first one. Ghost semen. Um yeah ghost semen beer. And so I was like, oh I'll get a front porch but the front porch offerings, um, you know, this whatever, I don't know how they do stuff are just bizarre and have nothing to do with anything. So it would have just been like, oh, here's a front porch beer that's got a weird cover. And I think that pistachio, uh, pistachio something. And I was like, uh, no. it's like uh, not, for the, not for number one. Yeah. Like, I don't want, I don't want to have that many questions about number one. And so I thought of, I did, a, I tried to do a bunch of other stuff. I tried to get like a bespoke beer made, which like they'll do it. There's a couple of places in California that will like, they have like an IPA and you can make a label and like, put it on it and that seems like, like a take a while right well so this is i was working on this for a while but okay. it'll only ship to california uh, like so they'll ship within california they won't ship to connecticut and there's nowhere around here and i wasn't gonna like go to two roads or like you know uh what's mm-hmm. the other one um stony there. creek and just be like oh could you because i don't you know that that should cost money and, and that's, also that's testing and also could you imagine that. having stony creek make a beer for you Ugh. no no no, no. We've done. Have we done any Stony Creeks? I think it's one of the things I'm going to do after this podcast. I'm going to post like a bunch of like, uh, try to tag like every beer 
that like you know maybe that was Jake. But so I went to the liquor store and I was like, oh, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna, I'm gonna find something. Like I'm determined to find something. So I went to a couple of different places and I couldn't find anything. And then I finally went to the, my place in Bethany, Town and Country Liquor. And not only did they have um, loose drawn and quarters, um, the Nightmare Brewing, which they were selling for four dollars a can, which it's I, not bad. I think I thought that was pretty good. I was like, I'm yeah. pretty sure this four pack is way more than sixteen bucks. I think I I, I got my fourteen pack for fourteen, but oh really? No, that's not. Oh, that's, I was surprised then. So maybe I'm uh, you know I'm the loser. It's still there, not but... bad. No, for a loose beer though. Like, but I just that's assumed, a bigger market. I assumed a quadruple IPA, like that's fairly hard to get, would yeah. be like in the twenty dollar range. But I was looking around, and I found the beer that I thought would be like the logical conclusion to like our our beer list. Bud Light. Called logical conclusion. <laughs> Makes sense. It's from Threes Brewing, and they're in um, Clifton Park, New York. Uh, they're brewed. It's brewed at single cut. So we never had a single cut. No, we didn't do wrench or anything. I've had on this, this beer before. I don't. I don't mind it. Well, this wrench one is wrench is single cut. You're right. Wrench is single cut. Yeah, I've had this one before. I don't, I don't mind it. Where did you have it? Uh, it was just at one of the local beer stores, and I picked it up for like a campfire. I do have. Though the the autobiographical beer of yours in the kitchen, in case you what Miller High Life, it's Miller High Life, yeah. of course. I mean, but that's the thing. So I don't really have. I have like a couple of beers. <laughs> that's the closest to a bill to a this autobiography. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do like this one. It's an IPA, India Pale Ale. That's all it says, right on it. One pint. You gotta love when they when they're just like that's what that's what i mean it's a, it's a seven percent so it goes a little bit over a thing but um yeah, my only and i'll just do this real quick my only two beer i have high life which is like just was my go-to beer for so long and even i'll go through phases of cheap beer but i always go back to high life and someone will bring it to my house or i'll have it i'll have it here after we finish this and i'll drink it and i'll be like oh my god that is like hitting all my spots I'm bringing 36 to our weekend trip so we i mean that's the perfect beer for a weekend trip either that or the rock um we got paps for party for party i had um Rolling Rock? No, no. no. Um, Arrogant Bastard. Oh, Stone right, Arrogant Bastard right. was a, was one of mine for a long time. Me and my cousin were uh, driving around uh, Poughkeepsie once just drinking. Yeah, we were drinking and driving. It was bad. Bad news. But it's farm country up there, so maybe he didn't mind. Wasn't something. there like a, a, a story with the train with Arrogant Bastard too? Train. Like you trained in New York and like they had Arrogant Bastard on tap. Like you'd went to a concert. Oh yeah, they did have arrogant bastard on tap, but I don't remember the specifics of that. I remember like you you had to wait for the because tra- you missed the train, so you had to wait like oh, an hour. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was a different. That was a yeah. That was a different thing. And so this was. But that, that was, was that's another this. biographical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was after this. The arrogant bastard thing is we saw we were at halftime. Ever been to a halftime? Um, they're like a New York. They just sell beer. Oh, but nice. they just have every. They have all the beers. And so we were at halftime. This is kind of when we had started getting into drinking beer. And we were just looking for cool stuff. And we saw a beer called Arrogant Bastard. We were like, oh my god. It has a big, like the stone gargoyle on it. And we were like, yeah, cool. Let's get that. And it was good. We were drinking like the big bottles uh, driving around. And then the other one is the Hop, the Blue Points Hoptical Illusion, which was like my go-to beer at the outer space for years. And then they changed the recipe. So now it just tastes like a beer. It's like when they changed like Headway from a decent sea hag to mm. another New England. Speaking of which, this is a pretty general New England style IPA, but like more orangey. And it is fruity, very orangey, yeah. But like not like in that hazy way. It's just no, it's, it's crisp. Good. It's crisp, but 
fruity. It's totally poundable. Yeah, like yeah, this so is one of those things where I would go back and buy a bunch. If I was having like a uh, like a couple of people over, you buy a bunch of these and they go fast and nobody minds it. I had I had like three of these in a, just a couple hours at a campfire once, just because it's, Ooh, it's perfect for yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, all right, so we're not going to do an A block again. We're going to do some reflections. We talked about weariness um, at the beginning of this podcast. I love how, how this is like the perfect movie that I'm going to do today to talk about weariness in regards to why are you I, why are you weary, Mario? I mean, so, you know, I, I got to a point near the end where I, I love doing the A block. I still love doing the A block. Reviewing new movies and just like, Watching the new shit, doing the best of year. I still love that. Oh, yeah, the, no, it's the, the best. Because we did that forever. Mm-hmm. Um, and so all the new stuff and, like, interpreting how it is for us or even, like, approaching it in new ways. Like, that's great. But it was getting to become a lot at the end to, one, watch, like, four movies mm-hmm. a week. One told – one – I was watching, you know, watching through the view of what a biographic autobiographically meant for me, mm-hmm. and the other one of trying to create questions in my head to ask you about what this movie meant for you. Mm-hmm. And so, from like a, a psychic, logical, psychic psychological standpoint, um, it became a little draining. It, yeah. It's going to yeah, be yeah. nice to just look at movies as they are with fresh eyes, and like even like what we did in the summer with the sight and sound stuff of seeing G.N. Dillman. Or um, or Balthazar or or the the Tarkovskys. Even those are classic films that are well beloved. Like we're, we're approaching these with years and years of history mm-hmm. and consistent keeping the, the consistency of everything correct and like reassessing what what this means to us or what it means to the other person. It's just movies. We're just movies we're watching. Right. And I guess from a personal story standpoint i'm glad to be done with that and i i i honestly feel like the uh, the same way and it's for like the same reasons it was i understand my relationship to these movies it's become little draining to kind of try to explain that every week like figure out the best possible context to put this movie in i think i often fail at it I often kind of re kind of hash what I said like immediately afterwards. I'm like, oh, I wish I would have said this, or like I left this on the table, or blah 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 blah. But I think it also became really problematic for me anyway to kind of talk about movies I love with somebody else who loves movies, but we definitely don't love the same movies. We love some of the same movies, sometimes, most of the times for totally different reasons, but like. I just I would like or to talk about your movies in the, like in the same thing like I you know you love a movie and I'm just kind of like you know that's a movie or whatever you know what I mean and I think one of the things that uh, that deals with is like these are personal things we've decided to make mo- a a personal movie podcast and not just like a best movie podcast it yeah it's almost like we have created the most extensive CV prologue for film reviewers. Like, do you want to get into the psychology of what we'll think about new movies? Well, here is hundreds of hours of our feelings of a hundred films that mean a lot to us. More than a hundred films that mean a hundred films that mean a lot to us. And then, like, all these extra movies that, like, also mean some stuff to us. And, like, that. And Hellboy. And Hellboy, yeah. Um, And Alhazard Belhazard. Yeah, we should have done that. And maybe maybe we'll revisit that later. Just to kind of worst movies we've reviewed like yeah. on this podcast no but like that's why i've been saying like the, like the doing like 
except for like the fact that it was over Zoom and that was annoying. But doing like watching new movies that were classics, that was fun. Yeah. Because like, there's no history there. There's no like trying to justify it. There's no personal biography that you autobiography that you have to explain and and then justify or there's no like kind of like sometimes with some of the movies of yours i didn't like skirting around like my feelings sure. to not oh, like, yeah. offend um are the typos where you write hell of high water instead of hell or high water on the did website? i do that there's hell also of, hell of high water there's an great equal movie. sign on one of our things instead of a dash and <laughs> i know about it and i keep meaning to fix it and i always forget um but yeah, like that part of it was also one of the advertisements just is in coding. That's great. Um, <laughs> like, like that part got exhausting. But, you know, now if people want to see if we're a good film reviewer for them, they have, they have plenty. If they want to know how we're going to interpret fucking... They can tweet us at Film Pivotal. <laughs> or... Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, that being said, I mean, I don't know how... So it, I think it's interesting how we've kind of done our list because as you've encountered stuff, you've adjusted your list. And I've really let my – I've left my list alone while simultaneously acknowledging in my mind that, like, if we were to pick this up and, like, ten – if we were going to sight and sound this, there's going to be movies that I've seen since we've watched this that are going to be on my list. Maybe you re- revisit this podcast at when you're – Turned 70, but I'm good not coming back to this in 10 years. No, no. 10 years. Another two and a half years. Just tw- if we're going to do that, it'd be like 20. It'd be like we would literally have to run. It'd have to be episode zero every week just so I could run through 10 movies each week. Yeah, what if your episode zero was the same 10 years from now? Movie. It's like the same five great. movies. But everything else is different. I haven't moved anything. Um, um, but yeah, no, it, it's definitely like. It, that part of it is wearing. I mean, but there's like, there's, there's certainly movies that don't mean a lot to me that I, I love talking about. Die Hard. Talk about that was a lot of fun. Mm. Lawson Gromit. E.T. The movies that like were, that didn't have a real personal story to me. Like they were just kind of like the things that opened my eyes to um, the genre or to like the wonder of movies. Mm-hmm. Or, or the stuff that like Metropolis or, uh, I'm trying, Metropolis or... What's another example? Um, Delicatessen or Duck Mm. Soup. Things that have, like, this real historical value in terms of, like, whether it be actual historical value with Metropolis or kind of, like, Delicatessen being this kind of introduction to a new model and actually having a real influence on on how films, like, mise-en-scene was there, like that, and Brazil. Mm -hmm. Brazil being another good example. Like, those episodes, talk about that, the art of film, or the art of film and history were fun as hell for me, or just like the introduction of this particular style of film for me and my history was fun. Mm-hmm. But the things that really meant something to me, those were, are really meant something to you. Those were the episodes I don't want to ever do again. Yeah, I mean, I kind of feel, um, I don't know, I had lots of fun. I had lots of fun very early on. Some of our like drunkest episodes. Like, what is it? The Goodfellas and RoboCop episode? That was a fun episode to do. Because we got really hammered and talked about Goodfellas twice. Because <laughs> I just didn't like it. All the way through, we just went, we went, like, we started one place, we finished, and then we just 
picked it back up again and like did the whole thing again. But those like it was interesting because those films, all of them, even if they mattered autobiographically, didn't seem to matter because they were so high up on the list. Yeah. It almost didn't seem like it seemed like we didn't have to care about anything back then. We could just kind of like shoot the shit about movies and drink for a while and then after no, we hit a certain point. That was, that was a Goodfellas and Scream, I think. Wasn't it? What was the RoboCop one? I think it was RoboCop and Citizen and Kane. Citizen Kane. Yeah, yeah, that was a good yeah. one too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, like Goodfellas, yeah. Because yeah. I was like, I like Scream and you're like, well, I don't. And I was like, cool. Let's talk about Goodfellas some more. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, as we got closer, it just became so, it just, and I think this is like, a, I hope people like forgive us for talking about this. It just became so, like, mentally and emotionally exhaustive to do to yeah. do this podcast. And that's why people don't do these podcasts. That's why people always start from a non-personal premise. And listenership is, is questionable. No, we love our listeners. Our listeners <laughs> no, are we the do. best. No, I mean, like, our numbers of our list episodes are questionable compared to our, like, sight and sound episodes. Or our, or our ant kind episode. Yeah. Or our Oscar nominees and Beautiful Boy episode. Yeah. Oh, but that's just that that one person. That's crazy. Was having a was having a. Good yeah. Time. No. For sure. Um. But I don't regret doing it. No, it was don't, awesome, and we're gonna talk about we're gonna talk about it in um a little bit. Um. We're gonna. I mean, there's a big there's like a this the whole process of this ties I think into my number one. I think is makes a really interesting, like jumping off point. Um, from my number one. So, um, I don't know. Uh, one of the things I wanted to do real quick, because we've never done it on the podcast ever, is I wanted to just credit, I wanted to give some, list some credits. So the credits are listed on our, 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 like every time we put up an episode, like I put the music credits up, but like, I feel like we should probably, I just want to say it on the podcast. Like the opening thing is an altered version of, uh, her eyes play tricks on the camera from Robert Pollard's album Honey Lucas Honky Tonk. Uh, pivotal film, which is who plays between our A blocks and like our pivotal films, is a guided by voices song off of Isolation Drills. Um, I was using that Johnny Greenwood segment from The Master for a while as like the second thing, and then I switched to a more rocking intro to Sugar Cube from Yola Tango, and then we've always ended with Ghost. Except for the episodes when we haven't ended with Ghost from Neutral Hotel. Isn't it great now when you type in Pivotal Film, though? Like, the first thing is you see is that North Ireland production company. The second thing you see is our podcast. Oh, really? And then, like, then Guided by Voices is a little bit further down. Huh. That's pretty good. Take that, Guided by Voices. <laughs> I would love it if they start suing, suing. me now. I hope so. Um, but there's that. Um, let's... You know, I think we're going to talk to JP again soon, as in possibly the next episode we put up. Um, For the Oscars and... The Oscars and, and then the... the Paul Thomas, Paul Thomas Anderson. Anderson thing. We, got, we got a November 2021 date. Is that another day, but... That uh, his Bradley Cooper movie is coming out in November. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, that's, that'll, be, that'll be good. That'll be a fun episode to do. I have no idea what that's going to be like. That, see, yeah. that will be that will be fun. Yeah, because do. we don't have because it won't matter. Yeah, because yeah, nothing will matter then. Um, Chris, we got to think. Chris. Oh, Chris, Joe's JP, obviously Chris Gardner, um, who like kind of started off like a trend that really died very fast, which is like people telling us they're pivotal films. We have to get JP to do his top five. He's never done a top five, has he? No, I still like the idea of sometimes having people come in to yeah, do a pivotal. Yeah, for sure, because. 
Because they can just talk about their movie, and then Re can then just be like, well, okay. Yeah, you're not part of this. Like, you can just tell us, and that's it. I'm not having like an hour-long conversation with you. <laughs> yeah, you just come this. and say it, and then Re just sit there, and, and like, like, you're just looking and go, okay. Um, I want to give a, a shout-out, I guess, also to my aunt, who I like talked about before, who helped set up the SoundCloud, because that shit is a fucking mess to do behind the scenes. Um, it is the reason that anybody could listen to us. <laughs> That's anywhere else. Um, my dad came on. Um, Although, technically, some. Uh, apparently, we can't be fully listened to on certain things of SoundCloud because it's not encrypted. Are that up. No. Podcast is encrypted? Yeah, I don't know what the fuck that means. I don't oh, care. Oh, well, good look. <laughs> Maybe it doesn't matter. Um, if, if we start taking off, we'll, we'll worry about it then. If we start taking off, I'll be so fucking mad. What would you be so mad if, like... The second we finish doing this, like some advertisement company is just like, oh, hey, now we can talk. No. I, like, <laughs> I will be. Tom, I don't know if you realize this. I like money. I like money, but I also like not, like, I like, like the hard work being acknowledged. The main part of this being acknowledged. It would be. That's why they come in. But, sorry, you're, sorry. No, that's me. fine. I understand what you mean. And I would be, it would be, it would be a catch-22. It would be a Catch-22. We're happy you're they, not they're doing... They're going to ask us to adapt Catch-22? No, no one's doing that ever again. George Clooney fucking ruined that shit with his Hulu adaptation. Um, that happened? Yeah, him and Grant Heslov did this whole horror... You know who stinks? George Clooney. What? I'm glad for Well, because we, you know what we, uh, we... You had mentioned Burn After Reading when we did the North by Northwest episode, and so I actually watched Burn After Reading, and he's fucking awful. I don't mind him. Oh, he's... T- Terrible. He's a bit of an overactor, but it's not too terrible. Oh, I just and he does the same. And he does that same thing in um, like Catch Twenty Two, mm. and it's it's all of his like, oh brother, where art thou? Acting. He's like, oh, people people want me to be funny. I'll just be super funny all the time now. <sighs> terrible. That was I was important. That was on my mind. I wanted to talk about that. Uh, so so you anybody else you want to thank? I think our listeners. Guy in Tennessee. Guy in Tennessee. Old Hickory, Tennessee, man. Shout out to you. I want to thank Munchies. Archie Moores. Archie Moores. We definitely I, have to might, thank New England. Depending on when we end, I might I might, I might, might get a Munchies. I didn't eat dinner tonight. Yeah, I'm not going to get some Munchies. Maybe I'll get some Munchies. I don't know. Don't let me. I don't know. I've, uh, it doesn't matter. Um, all those places. New England for sure, because I think we've probably done the most New England beers. East Rock Brewing, who gave us East Rock. Our, and we did a bunch. We've done a lot of East pack. Rock. I don't remember which one it was, but they gave us beer for, for the pot. For the, the only ones who have ever given yeah. us beer for the pot. And we've done a lot. We've done, I would almost venture to guess we've done, well, maybe not anymore. We've done at least four or five of their beers in this podcast. Yeah, he's with the. I'd, I'd say they're the second most featured brewery, which is hilarious because they don't like have a ton of beers, and we haven't drank one of theirs in a long time. They have a new beer that just came out. What is it? It's a key lime like smasher. It's a key lime like it's a lager with a bit of a key lime flavor to it. Hmm. it sounds delicious. I mean, they've never steered that Meyer lemon goes. I mean, I, I, honestly, I need summer I, to come I'll so probably I can get, get a growler of it, and we'll <laughs> even though we said we weren't going to. Or next next week, I'll probably just be like, we have a beer. We don't have to review it. It'll just be there. And we'll probably comment on it. 
Well, yeah, we'll just we won't we won't spend like yeah. five minutes like it won't be a part of the podcast. We'll we, be like, this is a good beer. We promise we won't mention mouthfeel at all during that beer review. Yeah, that's something I'm that's something I'm weary of. The word fucking mouthfeel, which is my fault because when I started this, I was like, I need to do this. I need to mention all this. No, stuff you know what? Beer. It was actually probably good because it's better than me saying like I don't know. It's pretty There's sweet. something. There's something happening in my mouth. Here's here's a list of words that I'm using to describe well, it. Well, I'm just like yeah, I'm mouthfeel. Desperately searching beer advocate for the right word. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Thanks to my laptop, because mm-hmm. Tom's laptop is doing all the hard work, and the furious typing you hear is me often researching something for minutes. Um, yeah, thanks. Uh, yeah, remember when you didn't have a laptop? Oh, I was using my phone. <laughs> oh shit. Um, but yeah, it's been it's been a good time. Uh, doing the podcast. I mean, we're gonna, we're gonna still go, but it's no, but it's part. It's it's a, it's a, it's a it's the prologue is done. I mean, in a lot of ways, this is it. And chapter one is moving on. Well, I mean, this is just the end of the this is the end of the book, and they, there's gonna be a sequel, which will just be like us like shooting the shit about movies. This book is over. And you know when this book will be over? When uh, I die of liver failure. No, this book will be over when like there's no more COVID, and we can spend our time. Like, just out at Side Street eating popcorn and, like, pretending to watch baseball and drinking $3. Well, I'm sure there'll be, like, $6.50 beers at that point so they can make all their money back. But, like, that's when we won't need to do this anymore. Because I think we started as, like, a thing, and then we were still doing that. But, like, now we know how much work this is. And so we can just kind of, like, talk about Mortal Kombat and eat wings and drink beer without having to set up... <laughs> this tangle of chords and this other stuff. We're, we're I would still like to do it occasionally. We're yeah, just sure, gonna sure, become. Sure. We're gonna become infrequent. It's just it's one of those things where like this is again, and this is a COVID thing. This is an everything thing. Life used to be a lot easier, like before we did this super fucking awesome thing that made our lives kind of weirdly complicated. Yeah. Um. And it'll be nice when... And then everything got crazy complicated. And it'll be nice for everything to just... Just for, to be a pastime. It'll just, yeah, just like a fun thing that we do instead of like an art project. And like, just like all art projects, and I felt this way when I used to play in bands, you know, when me and JP would play shows, they'd be like, oh, you know, they'd be like, oh, let's go practice. And I'd be like, if we don't have a show, there's no reason for us to practice. Because even practicing takes so much fucking effort. Do you ever think they just, just wanted to hang it. out? Of course they do just want to hang out. I mean, that's, that's what I did this part. I was like, let's, we have to do it this week. But that's what I'm just saying. Is that like, for, I can't, I've, oh, I always want to save it. I want to save it. Yeah, let's save it. All right, we'll okay. come back and uh, in just a second and we'll do my number one. Welcome back. Uh, I'm not going to announce right away. We're going to lead into it. Um, I just want to read some stuff first before we go. Um, before we get going. So there's a play. You ever hear of the play The Flick by Annie Baker? So there's a play called The Flick. I have not heard that. The Flick. It takes place in a, in a movie theater in Boston, I believe. Um, I've never seen it. I, read, I, I haven't read it in a while. Um, but there's a character, and his name is Avery in it, and... He's got some problems, but he's a big movie lover. So 
Um, there's one point where he ex- is explaining to his therapist on the phone um, about a dream he had, which he reveals something about his relationship to movies. And the line is, I realize that the way they decide whether or not you get into heaven is through like looking at all of the movies you've ever watched or all of the books you've ever read and figuring out whether there was one book or movie that you truly, truly loved. Like one movie that symbolizes your entire life. Um, there's a line from my number three movie, um, High Fidelity, where Rob is like, after, after that first day he goes back to work after he and Laura break up and he's like uh, sorting his records, you know what I mean? And Todd Luiso comes over as Dick and he's like, uh, he's reveals that he's uh, organizing his records alphabetic or not alphabetically uh, or chronologically, but autobiographically. I can tell you how I got from Deep Purple to Howling Wolf in just 25 moves. Um, and if you want to find the song Landslide by Fleetwood Mac, I have to remember that I bought it for someone in the fall of 1983, but didn't give it to them for personal reasons, pile. And Dick says that sounds, and Rob says comforting. And it is. The idea that you can track your life via uh, not necessarily the date that you saw something, but the ways in which those things uh, constructed yourself. Um, there's another one. There's a moment in Mrs. Dalloway where Clarissa, um, she's younger and she's on a bus. And uh, Virginia Woolf writes that uh, Clarissa felt herself everywhere, not here, here, here. She tapped the back of the seat. Uh, but everywhere, she waved her hand going up Shaftesbury Avenue. She was all she was all that. So that to know her or anyone, one must seek out the people who completed them, even the places. Um, Paul Auster, from his book, The uh, New York Trilogy, A Life Touches One Life, which in turn touches another life. And very quickly, the links are innumerable beyond calculation. There's a moment in... Uh, there's uh, Zach Smith, who did this... He's a, a porn star, and he's an artist, and he's uh, got me tooed, so he's not, like, my favorite person. He's kind of a shithead, I guess. Um, but he did this draw, this book, and he did a drawing for every single page of Gravity's Rainbow. So the book has, like, seven... His installation's, like, 765, I think, um, pieces, individual pieces describing what happens on every single page of Gravity's Rainbow. And it's this huge fucking brick of a Pictorial, book. Pictorially? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's okay. just, and it, so it's not text and, it's not text and pictures, it's literally just pictures. Okay. And like, when the, when he was having the installations, there would just be like a wall of pictures. A picture of what happens on every page of Gravity's Rainbow and he says in the introduction, go off looking for the answer to some maybe meaningless question, collect and connect the obscure clues Find out that the world is weirder and wilder than you ever imagined, and so are you. These are just a couple of things that I've collected. I've collected like a, lo- a lot of these things. I wrote an essay once in school that was just um, these little bits of, of, of people describing the idea that I've also had kind of my entire life, which I've mentioned on this podcast before, the idea of the bookcase, the idea of putting... putting uh, Things on a bookcase shaped like you, and if you were to look at that bookcase, not knowing who it is, you'd have a pretty good idea of who that person was. Not because of the just the content of the movie, or the book, or the record, or whatever, 
and so some someone could look at it and like there would never know anything someone that doesn't know you but if you were to say to somebody describe who you are like describe yourself or tell me your life story you would do like rob and you would say like there's this song and there's this movie and there's this book and then there's this and then there's this and there's this sticker that I peeled off this wall and there's this lucky coin or there's this feather or there's this, um, you know, whatever. There's a poem. I have a poem here by Charles Simic. It's called The Altar. The plastic statue of the Virgin on top of a bedroom dresser and a blackened mirror from a bad dream grooming salon. Two pebbles from the grave of a rock star, a small grinning wind-up monkey, a bronze Egyptian coin, and a red movie ticket stub. A splotch of sunlight on the framed communion photograph of a boy with the eyes of someone who will drown in a lake real soon. An altar dignifying the god of chance. What is beautiful, it cautions, is found accidentally and what n- and not sought after. What is beautiful is easily lost. The idea that we can construct a self, not necessarily out of objects, but out of moments. And the idea of self-synthesis, self-mythologizing, self-analysis constantly, to know that's a part of me. And I think what I was saying before about like there's movies on, on that I've seen since we started doing this podcast um, that are going to be on my list is because um, I'm actively doing that all the time. I'm constructing some kind of, of, of pseudo-myth self out of all of these things. And so the movies that are going to be on my list, like um, At Eternity's Gate is going on the list, um, nine, nine days, days, high life probably, and I would probably use high life as the kind of the same way I would use like Goodwill Hunting, the brain. Like, well, not just it's intro, it's like an introduction to Claire Denis, and Claire Denis is now like that was so that was a favorite episode of mine. Well, I just remember you talking about the brain, the heart, and the I can't remember the third one, the brain, the heart, and the I don't know. Remember you said like there's the brain episodes, the heart episodes. And oh the, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't remember what the third one is. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. Touch yeah. episodes or like that. Maybe I'm not sure. Um, like, would that be that? Would it be one of those? Or yeah, that would probably be a brain one. It would oh. probably be a brain one. And I think and and um, I'm guessing nine days would be in the heart. Nine brain. days would be. It's, it's funny because nine days would be in the middle. And I think probably one of the things and I've talked about this is because I've, I've already done a lot of the work that nine days is is showing me. Nine days is probably. The reason the nine days probably can't be like much higher than wherever it ends up being is because of my number one movie. Is because my number one movie does all of that stuff perfectly and it does it um, times a million and it does it better than almost any other movie I've ever seen in the history of my life. I think the other movie that would be on my list that we talked about um, on this podcast would be Hubo's um, An Elephant Sitting Still would be would be on the list because I think that movie aligns to this movie too just in how deeply sad it is. The way that it uses metaphor... Um, for emotion, and I think that movie is significant in the sense that it uses metaphors as emotions for it uses emotions as metaphors for other emotions. It's kind of like amazing in that way. But I remember when I saw my number one, and it was a fairly typical viewing experience. Me and my wife, we weren't married when we went to see it, but we were engaged. We went to Criterion in New Haven. Um. Looking forward to the new Charlie Kaufman movie. Charlie Kaufman directed. Like, that's a 
yeah, it was a big deal. I was like, love Charlie Kaufman. I was like, you know, I was all up in that. This is first, first, this is, yeah, his directorial debut. Yeah, I couldn't remember if he directed um, what you call it? Good. Sorry. Which one? Human Nature. Yeah, I no, he didn't direct Human, Human Nature. Nature. Um, is that Michelle Gondry? I think it was Spike Jones. Oh, okay. Sorry, go ahead. I think he was just kind of. I think um, Human it, Nature was I mean, just. It like, doesn't matter. It's just no, no, no. I'm just yeah. I'm just because it's him. I'm just kind of talking about. Michelle, Michelle Gondry. Which is funny because there's not as enough. There's not as many puppets in that movie <laughs> as you would think. Um, just went to the movie and I was excited to see it, but I wasn't like doing one of those things where I was like looking to have my ass blown off. You know what I mean? I was just kind of like, oh, this will be good, and I love this guy, and I love all the people that are in this movie. Awesome, and I think it was still at the time where I was like. I thought it was really cool that Michelle Williams is in real movies. Like, post-Dawson's Creek. I was like, she's fucking doing it, man. She's getting out. She's leaving that Dawson's Creek shit behind, and she's making all these real movies. And it was awesome for her. But I'm, I'm, I'm saying that, using that as an example of, like, probably where my thinking was when I went to see this movie. Which is not necessarily, like, I'm going, this is going to change my life. But, like, this movie will be cool. For a lot of, a, a lot of cool reasons. Um, and then I watched it and I very distinctly remember walking out of the movie theater and feeling like I had seen a movie that nobody else had seen. Like every, we all just saw the same movie and, and I'm kind of like in that headspace now is that like I had just seen something that defied, um, like just explanation. And I think a lot of people that saw that movie at that time felt like roughly the same way, which is why the initial critical response to it was not awesome, um, to say the least. Because I don't think I just don't think people can make heads or tails of it, and it just it was just amazing, and it wasn't amazing in ways that like I think a lot of people think. And not, not, this is not to say that I'm special. <clears throat> it's it, it's by far the single saddest movie I've ever seen. It is just... It is a movie about sadness um, in all of its various um, complex ways of being felt um, while simultaneously being really funny and being really clever and inventive and doing all the exact things that the person who I almost seem to like trust the most with movies... Um, and he's earned that back. After I'm thinking of ending things, and he kind of lost it a little bit with Anomalisa and, and Ankind. Well, oh yeah, I mean Ankind is, but he's not. It's not a movie. No, but, no, but it's but it it is. A, it's amazing. Yeah. It's also but it's, it's, it's also it's amazing. A really cinematic book. Sure, though. sure, sure. And even when it's not being cinematic, you're also always thinking of it in terms of like from a cinema. And maybe he doesn't mean that. And maybe that'll bum him out if he ever listens to this. Like, I just wanted it to be a book. I'm a fucking author. It's a novel. You bastards. Um. That movie, um, because you saw the title of this podcast, and uh, maybe you guessed it, is um, 2008 Synecdoche, New York. I have a lot of problems. Going through some things. I'm hurt. Am I dying? Can you tell me that? I can't tell you. You can't tell me? No. No, you can't tell me if you can't tell me. No. I'm lonely. And? I'm afraid I'm going to die. Anything else? I don't know what's wrong with me. 
And I want to do something important while I'm still here. That would be the time to do it, yes. Death comes faster than you think. Because the idea is to do a massive theater piece. What was this used for? Plays. Like theater plays? I disappointed you somehow. Everyone is disappointing. The more you know someone. I don't know what I'm doing. Knowing that you don't know is the most essential step to knowing, you know? I want you to beg me on your knees for a kiss. <laughs> we need to investigate the essence of each being. You're weirdly close to what I've visualized for this character. Glad to be weirdly close. You smell weird. What do I smell like? It's like you're menstruating. I don't know. I don't, I don't menstruate, so I don't know. I can smell like I'm menstruating. You tell me. I've been following you for 20 years, and I've learned everything about you. So hire me, and you'll see who you truly are. I'm just a little person, one person in a sea of many little people. I'm not a homosexual. It's so complicated. That's what you do. I hope you through any way I can. There are millions of people in the world. And none of those people is an extra. They're all leads of their own stories. Caden. What? When are we going to get an audience in here? It's been 17 years. Say thank you. Thank you. You're very welcome, young lady. So there's a lot of other there's a lot of ways I can come at this. I read all those things in the beginning because um and I've said this on the podcast before, I've always had uh, a pretty clear sense of um, past a certain point in my life, I had a pretty clear sense of who I was as a person. But I had a lot of unarticulated ideas about things, and I just lacked, I think, the 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 knowledge base or the language to articulate those ideas. So one of the ideas that I've had for like a long time, like since I got out of religion, is the idea that like the idea of like a secret knowledge, and like how being like I believe in karma. Um, but I also believe in, like, if, I, if I'm shitty, so shitty things will happen to me. That's totally a thing that I think. Um, but at some point, I also started believing the idea that, like, you're good not to be, not to go to heaven. Or, and you're not, you don't go to hell if you're bad. If you're good and you live a, a decent life, you get rewarded with, like, some kind of hyper-awareness when you die. Like, you understand the secrets of the universe, which means you have to live your life knowing that the universe, or thinking that the universe had secrets to tell you. That, like, every day you do a thing that you don't understand, even though you implicitly understand it. Not, like, like, a, not like a Buddhist, sort of. No, it's more, I've always, so I had it defined to me, finally, in a philosophy class at Naugatuck Valley Community College, we talked about Plato. And we talked about the forms, and the idea of, like, this is a table, and what Plato would say is that you can't know the actual essence of this table until you die, until you've lived your best version of your life, and, you know, you will be, and there's like, you know, the, uh, 
uh, what's the word I'm looking for of the cave? The allegory, allegory of cave, all this other stuff. You have to do all these things. You have to be self-aware. You have to go up outside and show people how unself-aware they are. You have to make them be aware. And then when you die, you will know table. You will know the truth of the essence of table. You will know the truth of the essence of Miller High Life beer and coffee cup and coat and laptop monitor and mouse pad. What is that mouse pad? What's on that mouse pad? Uh, Kebabin's, like, it's an it's a oriental, as it was called, rug kind of. Oh, yeah, pad. yeah. I see that now. Cool. Um, you will know these things. I remember when I took that class and he said it and he was like, and he did this. He did this a lot. And he, there was a desk in front of him that nobody was sitting in. And it almost seemed like he, like, it was a big class. It almost seemed like he purposely didn't put a person there because he was just constantly talking about this desk. Like, everything was in regard to the desk. And, like, when he talked about Anne Rand later, it would be about the desk and how she would feel about the desk and how David Hume would feel about the desk and all this other stuff. Everyone was about desk, desk, desk. But for me, that first, that first kind of introduction to, like, Plato as, like, a as an idea machine, I was just like, well, that's just how, that's how I feel about everything. And, and apparently I'm a Platonist or whatever. If there was a religion attached to Plato, apparently that's, I'm that, whatever. Doesn't matter. Fine. Um, I've had these, I, I, I keep having these feelings. I keep having these, these moments and I've kind of articulated some of them in the podcast of, um, Revelation, as a, in terms of definition, of defining or, or outlining or putting into an artistic, easily understandable context for an idea that I've already had. I lived with the idea of like the, the forms or whatever, what I've kind of started for my own personal philosophy of the bookcase. I had that idea for a really long time. I had the idea that like we're just... We're just here, and you try to define yourself by certain, by a certain framework, and by certain ideals. But life just keeps demanding that you change those things, and it's not as simple as like I wanted to do this, and so I ended up doing Y. I wanted to do X, and I ended up doing Y, or like I had to make a choice between X and Y. It's the idea that like by by choosing X. X means something karmically. It means something to the to the universe. I mean, in that eulogy funeral moment, which I, I may have been be the introduction. I don't know. Maybe we'll play it right now. You know, the guy says that there's a million different threads. That guy that's playing the priest. There's a million different threads, and they're all attached to somebody else. And uh, you know, the the smallest choice kind of you know dictates what happened or like at the very end of the movie when and i misquoted that i'll actually i'll just cut that out i'll play it at the very end of the movie when he's you know uh diane weiss just the fucking amazing diane weiss is like talking into his ear about and he's sitting there on that couch within that like the third sound stage talking to that woman who was played a memory in whatever it is that he's doing he just tells her, like, all these windows, you know, I mean, there's, like, a million different stories. The idea that there's all these other things going on outside of your world, how insignificant you are, but how 
in your own story how significant every stupid thing you do is. Um, and that's and that's Synecdoche, New York. I mean, for those who don't know, and I think there's, I mean, this might be one of those instances where there's like a lot of people who don't know what this movie's about. Philip Seymour Hoffman, and I think, I mean, and we could argue about this, and maybe we won't argue about this because of the nature of this podcast, and maybe this is like a different thing. I mean, I think this is easily his best performance. There is no more Philip Seymour Hoffman after this. Um, I mean, in this movie, he just is... Kate Guitar. He's oh, just. I, th- I thought you were just saying this was like his last performance. No, but like, would, you, but like, would you be surprised? And I'm, I'm not putting this fucking shit on him. I would never do that. But would you be surprised to find out that like he was just this did something to him? I don't ever put that in. There. Like a mo, but like that being. I mean, but you can. I think it's fair to say because a lot of actors talk about like it's hard for me to get out of this part. It's hard for me to kind of move on from this thing. I mean, he, did, he from interviews with him, it did not seem to suggest that 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 was the case. But it seems to suggest that this was a big movie for him. But I, I would, I wouldn't. But I would go also, I would argue that. Well, fine, maybe I wouldn't go that far. But there's aspects of this that which are not in. Uh, there's aspects of this, I think. That kind of color his performances afterwards. Well, not even so. You could say that, but like there's, and it makes it puts I think a different kind of spin on some of the things he would do at like or he did before it. So like we even looked at the Savages. The Savages is a great Philip Seymour Hoffman performance, but the Savages in a lot of ways is him just kind of doing, um, actor things. You know what I mean? He's just it's, he's, it's really similar it's, to what he's doing in Lumet's, um Before the Devil Knows Your Dead. Right. Um, which is similar to like things that he did a lot of things. There is an immersive quality to this where I think like 40 minutes into a movie that it's a two hour movie that feels really long. But like I just I mean, I just never want it to end. Um, he's just kind of gone. Like Philip Seymour Hoffman as a performer is just kind of disappeared. And you are just confronted with a guy with this guy and I think he creates a kind of weird vortex where he pulls in every other actor in this movie into into it. And they all kind of become more themselves. And I think they even... Re- and that, I mean, this is a movie that's like wholly about identity and stuff like that. But, you know, Emma Watson's kind of playing Emma Watson. Emma Watson? Emma... Emily Watson. Emily Watson. Emma Watson is the idiot from... She's an idiot. <laughs> from Harry Potter. I, the one thing I would say is Samantha Morton's doing a lot of work here. Well, too. that's what I was going to say, too. Is that, like, I love her in, in like, Morvan Caller, and I love her in lots of stuff. She's making choices here, and it's in a part... Of, she starts making choices in a part of the movie when you don't really get a lot of... People aren't making, like, a ton of choices yet. Yeah, you know she's I mean? not a focus yet, yeah. So... And nobody's Catherine, really a focus. Catherine Keener, who plays his wife... Um, is uh, Adele is is doing Catherine Keener things things we expect Catherine Keener to do. Philip Seymour Hoffman seems dour in the beginning of the movie. Um, Michelle Williams seems kind of plucky and whatever. Um, Peppy, yeah. Um, and then that other guy, I forget his name, and I don't have it in front of me, but it doesn't really matter. The guy that plays the actor. Everyone's kind of doing the. Everyone's kind of playing normal parts, and then um, Samantha Morton comes in and she's kind of got a weird accent. And she's dressed provocatively. And she's 
like flirting with him but not flirting with him and there's this weird edge to her where you kind of don't 100% know what she's doing and so she comes in from the very beginning with like a, a, a just like setting a setting a mood and i think this i think one of the things i think that gets lost in this movie a lot just like from a craft perspective is i think most of this movie is very intentional and i think a lot of people think that it's like a general failure like that it just got away from it's the movie's so big, it just got away from everybody involved and became this, like, big, weird mess where there's, like, a burning house and there's people playing different uh, versions of themselves. But, like, Tom Noonan's all throughout this movie before Tom Noonan's introduced. Oh, I love Tom Noonan. Does it mean... Do you not see that, though? Like, Tom Noonan's in the background of Sure. Scenes? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I assume. I didn't beginning. look in the background. But, like, there's a part where he's just, like, like where Caden's walking down the street and there's Tom Noonan just kind of, like, like leading. Because well, I remember... Because I, I, like, this is my first time watching all the way through and i was like is that fucking tom noonan yeah in the first in the first conversation that he has with hazel out on that bench when she's like you you say that like i love your eyes and blah blah, blah. he's in that scene he's in the background he's behind the tree oh i didn't see him i he's saw him in- i saw him when he's walk when caden's walking um after one of the doctor's appointments yeah and just like he's leaning against like a he's a all wall. i mean if you look for him he's there are some scenes when he's not there but in most scenes he's He's there. Yeah. And he's in the beginning of the movie. He's always there somewhere. There's one, if there's one thing to be said, I mean, maybe it got away from Charlie Kaufman's ability to talk to his audience, but this movie in no way got away from Charlie Kaufman. But that's the thing. So my point, Mario, is that like, so I'll just, I'll tie this into it. Caden Guitard is, is, uh, uh, he's in um, Schenectady, New York. He's doing a local theater thing. He's, um, wins, you know, he, Adele makes tiny paintings. There's J- Jennifer Jason Lee plays Maria. She's just kind of like a presence there. Um, yeah, that was... I, I've always found that to be weird. Because that was never, like, a thing. And then it's just like, oh, yeah, that's a thing. Okay. Um, and then he gets... A, in the, but then Adele leaves him. She moves to Germany. She gets really famous. Um, famously in this movie, time just kind of moves from moment to moment, even in the same scene. So in the very beginning of the movie, it goes from, I think, September to October in the first breakfast scene um he gets a uh, he gets a, a macarthur fellowship he gets a genius grant and so he decides he's going to do something true he's going to do something real he's going to stage this kind of um uh simulacrum of his life hugely in this big fucking warehouse space that they used to do shakespeare in um i love when jesus he's like what kind of theater do they do and just like plays and he's like really he's like, yeah shakespeare he's like yeah, I can see it. Lear, the storms. Like, just kind of randomly. And he has this thing, and he does it for fucking years, man. And every moment that happens to him gets gobbled up by this apparatus that he's developed to interpret his existence. But the beauty of this movie, and I'm going to ruin it for you now, and it's not a spoiler as much as it's just kind of like a subtextual thing that you gotta know... This movie may have gotten away from Charlie Kaufman speaking to his audience because Charlie Kaufman is not speaking to his audience. Charlie Kaufman is speaking to himself. Mm. Caden Cotard is speaking to himself. Every single person that comes into this movie is not speaking to about anything that's happening around them. He is looking at his existence like through all of these like varied eyes. I mean, that moment when Tom Noonan like, auditions for him and he says that shit about the Chimera um, right to Hazel... And, and and 
Philip Seymour Hoffman is just broken. He's just like ruined, like sitting there listening to this stuff. Um, because it's all true, and he's and Tom Noonan's like he's like cast me, and I'll 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 like tell you like I'll I'll play you how you really are. You'll see how you really are because that's true. Because Tom Noonan is the physical manifestation of the inside of like some subconscious level of Cade Guitar that he doesn't even that he doesn't even know. So when when Sammy does what he does, Tom Noonan is Sammy. You know, after they've constructed all these sets and he's playing Caden, there's Caden's is walking behind Caden and they're both doing stuff and Caden is judging how Tom Noonan is playing Caden all this stuff. And then there's like these relationship things and Sammy does what he does. Sammy is not saying like necessarily saying like his own heart is broken, even though I think it is. And that's what's so sad about it is that it's representative of it's two hearts. And that's the thing. Every time they add a layer to this movie, it gets more hearts and it gets sadder. And so there's just so much sadness by the end of this movie. And the beauty of it is, for me, is that he keeps saying to himself, like, I know how to do it now. I know how to do it. Because each moment in his life, each turn, each tragedy, each just kind of amazing thing, every, like totally not amazing thing every minor thing every whatever is he's processing it and he's filtering his life through that through that moment and it's all about it's amassing life it's collecting life it's processing life it is it it's like and it's doing it in real time it's it's doing it in like 2 hours of a movie you kind of move through um really subtly through all these weird emotions like I love one of my favorite scenes and like I, I think I probably have like 50 favorite scenes one of my favorite scenes is when uh, Caden gets hit in the head with like the faucet thing because it's played for laughs um, in a lot of ways because like he'll he, you know he's bleeding profusely from the head but he's also got a mirror and he's like checking it because he you know he feels like he's dying and he doesn't look good and he doesn't feel good and all this other stuff I mean in the trailer it's definitely as like it's kind of framed as like a as like a funny thing but in reality it's like fate it's the universe like smacking him in the head and being like you're not doing it right and that's where all the dying stuff comes from too is that he's for him the movement of life is all tracked uh through the body you know what i mean through these pustules that are erupting on his skin through his legs, through whatever. But there's these moments when he opens himself up enough to know I could I could I could do this differently. I could live my life differently. I could process life differently. I could see life differently. I could engage with life differently. Um and that's I mean in in two thousand and eight, by two thousand eight, that was what I kind of tried to do every day and I think it, it it's kind of capped off not necessarily capped off with this podcast I think it's just capped off in the last like 2021 so I'd say seven years of my life where I like started thinking about like who I am and what defines me differently and I what I value so I think about what I value differently and made different choices and did things that like I wouldn't normally do 
Um, but like, you, you just take a risk. And you hope for the best, and you kind of make the best of it, but all of those things uh, seem of a whole. Like that guy says in that, in that funeral thing, in that eulogy, um, which is maybe my favorite scene, um, with everyone just kind of sitting around and watching. It's like, oh, Charlie Kaufman's such a fucking jerk, but he's like an amazing jerk. He stages it like this bullshit kind of like movie moment with like... Um, that piano like solemn piano music in the background and like there's a lot of swearing and in the context of like what we've seen it's fairly simple language you know what i mean it's fairly simple emotions but he stays and the intentionality of moving the camera up to show you the what the rain coming from sure like, the and like pipes. And, and the in the background kind of the green screen filling in behind them and stuff like that but I mean, a lesser director i don't know does this or a lesser director plays it for laughs and not for the a metaphor for the emotion that it is, which is he's got Philip Seymour Hoffman and Diane Weist and Emily Watson and whoever the whoever the guy is that's playing other Hazel at that moment, um, just watching and being like just ruined by like what Charlie Kaufman is kind of saying is bullshit, and it's because it's not bullshit. It's like it's being perceived by the Cadence and by the Hazels as a like a legitimate moment that this Diane Weist Caden tap because she's like the second she's like the third level of his subconscious has tapped into the vehicle through which to mine that emotion to mine those very simple things that Caden is feeling so that priest isn't speaking to an audience. I love when that guy, when he does like the brutal honesty thing, and that guy's like, "What are we gonna get an audience in here?" Because all that guy cares about is the audience. That guy's like the real villain of the movie, um, the guy that doesn't know how to walk. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Um, the audience is, is the audience has always been Kate. What's happening inside the warehouse is just is, and which is not to say that it's not real, because in the context of the movie, it's real. But it's all how he like looks at the world he's he needs it to be he needs all of these movements to be true and needs them to be real to kind of justify his own existence and to justify his own pain and to justify his own sadness um and then from that though i think he sees where there is like the possibility of of like maybe a little bit of 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 hope by acknowledging that every other person in the world is going through something similar. Everyone has their own miseries. Everyone has whatever. They're joined in that kind of... Um, I know David Foster Wallace used to say this thing about, like... And he's not like my, my favorite, but whatever. He used to say this thing about, like, like fiction is, like, a way to bridge the gap of, of human loneliness. And there's, like, a thing... I have one... I have a, a different quote here. I think I have it here. It's by this guy that... Um, yeah, this is this philosopher, um, Israeli philosopher. He says, like, a work of art is a message sent by a certain individual to other, mostly unknown individuals. And I think that's a lot of what's happening inside of Snecky, New York, is that exact idea. Is that this is a movie about loneliness and sadness and about choices and regret and, like existential pain and real pain and all this other stuff and 
it's like really hackneyed and stupid to say like he's saying like you're not alone but there's a lot of ways in which this film is trying to say to like the right viewer like or it's forcing the right viewer to acknowledge like you're also doing this and it doesn't have to hurt as much as it does although it's probably although you probably can't stop it and you will die before you ever figure it out or at the moment you figure it out you will die um but for me there's a lot of there's so much like beauty in that idea there's so much beauty in the idea of a, a collected life of a amassed sensations of amassed memories of amassed everything and then like wringing that out for to find the truth in it, like ripping through that shit to find the truth in it. So I think in a lot of ways, I've always seen this podcast. So when we originally kind of initially kind of framed this podcast, I knew this was going to be my number one. I was fairly confident this was going to be my number one. And then as I put this together, I was like, well, it just has to be. Because it's it's the movie that breaks my heart the most. I feel the most emotions about it. Um, but it's also the movie that ties my, this whole activity together for me. It's the movie that I can track not like in terms of like a self growth but that shows me all of these little moments make me who i am all of these movies in some way make me who i am all of the emotions attached to those movies make me who i am all the stories all the memories and then on top of that like doing this podcast so a lot of those movies that i talked about before one of the reasons that they're going to be on the list there's lots of reasons but one of them is because of doing this, of having the experience of doing this. And that stuff is, that stuff is, that is, those are real things. And I think one of the things I, I love this, I love about this movie is the way that it demands you acknowledge the reality of things that like, you don't want to acknowledge the reality of. And not to say that I don't want to acknowledge the reality of this podcast, but like it would be dumb of me to say that like this podcast was just kind of like a thing that I did to pass the time. This is a thing, a pod, um, uh, activity that I did that I engaged with myself in a way that I wouldn't have engaged with myself otherwise. That I confronted aspects of my own autobiography and the way that I look at art and the way that I process art and the way that I feel about art um, in a way that I wouldn't have um, in any other context. Um, and there's like so much value in that. And I think one of the things, like, you know, the takeaways is, you know, he says, like, there's a million windows. Um, like, everyone has, everyone's got a pivotal film. <clears throat> um, and if they're looking at it the right way, it's not like a film that they think that people want to know about. It's the movie, it's the book, it's the record, it's the whatever that you say somehow like well that's yeah that's me like that's 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 speaking to me or for me in a way that nothing else and nothing else is um i'm not saying everyone should make a hundred a list of a hundred but i bet everyone has one if they're being really honest with themselves they've they've got one you know what i mean and it's probably not all the shawshank redemption um or like something easy like that and it because it doesn't have to be a really profound experience the thing my experience of this movie wasn't like necessarily really profound 
but what I took away from it was like I feel like I've had more profound actual view pleasure more profound actual viewing experience you know what I mean where I was like on the edge of my seat like holy shit but this one just sticks man and I mean the thing the, the scene that I couldn't, I can't ever get out of my head is the first time and, and when I, I when I saw this I'm I fairly remember if I didn't start crying I was like about to start crying um was when uh, Caden goes to Olive's bedside when she's about to die. And, uh, you know, there's all that weird stuff about, like, the homosexuality and, you know, talking about Maria and, like, the flowers are now dead. I mean, I think the I think the, the striptease scene is, like, equally heartbreaking. I mean, it just... I mean, I, I, but it's hard for me now to, to determine whether or not it's heartbreaking because of some... Uh, you know, internalized thing from when I initially saw or like rewatches or because now I have a daughter, Mm. like the idea of like screaming out to your daughter and like, she doesn't acknowledge you. I don't know if that's, if that's somewhere in there, I didn't really do that work, but I remember the first time I saw it and it's the same as this time I saw it when he, he's like, she says, you have to ask me for forgiveness. And he's like, will you? And then she says, it's for this very specific thing. And he's like, okay, I'll do it. Um, and she, he asked for forgiveness for this thing that he clearly didn't do. And then she says no. And then she just fucking breaks down in tears. Um, and that, at, in the moment, like, that shit fucking wrecked me. Why? Because it's, it's pure, it's pure sadness. Charlie Kaufman has stripped away, um, he's used humor to take away all the pretense of a sad moment. And he's given you something simultaneously ridiculous but also like impo- like all this guy wants in the whole world is for his daughter to like you know you've you you've seen him kind of try to reach out to his daughter he's reading her diary which is just kind of him imagining certain aspects of himself i don't even i would be hard pressed if you put a gun to my head i would probably argue that the olive scene like never even happened so he's ima- if you look at it that way, he's imagining this conversation in which an imagined olive belittles him in a way that like doesn't even make any sense. And then when he asks an imagined olive for forgiveness, the imagined olive says no. Is there like a biographical reason? No, for you but that's that? or just because it's because it's so wrong. It's pure. It's not fucking clouded with any shit that's i mean and that's why this movie is fucking brilliant because he shows you the shit with that eulogy scene he's like shit looks like this but it's also really sad but shit also looks like this and this is sadder you know what i mean it's Mm -hmm. it's it doesn't have it's like really stark where where are they even um like you don't have like a sense of of um you know, of of setting or place or time or whatever. Like Jennifer Jason Lee's still alive and doesn't look that much older than anybody. And then you have the really, I mean, the wilted black flowers on her body. Like the idea that the flowers are dying and so she is dying, or vice versa, she's dying so the flowers are dying is beautiful. And then the idea that like it sheds a petal is like equally beautiful. I mean, in that stuff, <clears throat> considered. You know he held on to that. Mm. You know that pedal has meaning for him. That is a moment. Where is that moment on the soundstage? 
do we see it? I mean, do we see it in the background somewhere? I mean, it's a, the movie suggests that background things are possibly available. I don't know. Maybe someone made a 15-minute YouTube video about interpreting the Easter egg surrounding that exact idea. I'm I have sure no idea. Um, but it's if it's not, what does that say? And I, that's why I think it's sadder is that this is a guy, here is a guy who is just killing himself because he doesn't know any other way to live. And I, I mean... I love that. It's again, it's, it, again, it gets passed over a little bit. Right in the very beginning of the movie, when he's like, oh, Harold, Harold Pinter died. He opens the paper and he sees the word, words Harold Pinter. Harold Pinter died. And then he's like, talks about Harold Pinter a little bit, and he's like, oh no, he won the Nobel Prize. Because in Kate Guitard's mind, or in reality, probably Charlie Kaufman's mind, being dead and winning the Nobel Prize is the same fucking thing. And that's... And that's a little insight into like the mind of this person like this person's just never going to be happy but that doesn't mean that he doesn't want to be happy um or they doesn't like understand what happiness looks like or what it feels like and i think that's where you get that you get some of those flashbacks to his daughter and the way that that stuff is staged like the oh that beautiful like uh monologue when he's reading the diary and he, he talks about the 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 green coat and like the playing dead and all this other stuff like that shit that's like the real stuff but again that's not in the context of the way I'm looking at it it's the amassed sensory details of one's life are the things that kind of are that hit you the hardest and the loss of those or the meaning of those or the meaning of those is what you're trying to find out every day if you're so inclined and the loss of those or the the misinterpretation of those sensory details or whatever is where the pain really comes from. And so that's, I mean, so he's reading a diary that doesn't exist and he's imagining all these things and he's putting words in Olive's mouths maybe and he's imagining this this larger than um, reality place in this woman's existence and then it just, but it's just not real and that's the stuff that's, and that's where the pain comes from and that's why this movie's genius because it, it does crazy shit but it's all in the service of 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 real pain it's an alternate reality almost in which that alternate reality is more painful, I mean, think of the Diane Weiss thing at the end, and I've been talking for a while here and I guess I'll kick it over to you in a second, think of the, the where is my little girl scene like, Diane Weiss has been in the movie literally for 20 minutes. Like, when she just breaks down in tears looking out of her apartment window at a girl running across the street. And when Diane Weiss breaks down in tears, it's not just like a regular person, movie actor breaking down in tears. It is, it is up till, it is just, it's heavy and it weighs and it seems real. There's legitimate loss contained within those I'll remember and she says as a little girl she's thinking about her memory I'll remember this day forever she like what she does she pick something up and she's like I'll, I'll, I'll keep this day I'll remember this day forever and it just and she doesn't and I'll have my own little girl and I'll share I'll tell her about this day where is my little girl fucking tears man and it's all inside of this this universe that he's created that Caden has created she now exists with inside this Caden Guitard universe she is Caden Guitard uh, it's just it's just it's almost like too deep it's almost like too deep to kind of process and I think he I think he gets it I think Charlie Kaufman gets it 
And that's one of the things, the last thing I'll say about my takeaway from this movie is that even the parts that I'm maybe not 100% sure that I understand or I jive with or whatever, um, I trust him. I I believe 100% that him and Philip Seymour Hoffman knew exactly what they were doing because it always feels like Philip Seymour Hoffman knows all those emotions are real and so complex and just like astounding um and it's 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 kind of it's it's just weird i think it's 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 place in in society and in the culture i think is very strange and it's not even i don't even really think like a cult movie at this point i think there's just like a bunch of people that were really like are very passionate about it but i'm not 100 percent sure it's like that many people i mean got a lot of a lot of people call it one of the greatest films of all time like roger ebert put it on the top of the decade like one of the best of the decade sure so. but i think there's just as many people that probably put it on like the worst movie of the year well, no, the worst movie of the years list i looked up worst like there's some people that make the case that's the worst movie of all time which is in a lot of ways is is interesting a tribute enough to its excellence yeah i'm curious um a lot of the ways this is my really first approach with it um, did you see it and you didn't see it in theaters no i started it and then couldn't get through it because i got distracted by other stuff on on dvd um, legal stream um <laughs> that yeah, meant legal, something back then yeah. um of it and so this is my first time kind of really sitting with it and i can't help but but feel as though like a major undercurrent and maybe because it's framed with the death uh, death of a salesman aspect is is you know a story about suicide. Um, um, maybe I mean I the death of a salesman thing I think is really interesting because I think he's I think can, and it's just a couple especially is, like his his decision to make it about young people well, and younger people could like be here like a person who you know Caden is in his presumably early forties at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and and Willie Loman is supposed to be in the play, washed up in, in his fifties, and realizing that his life has passed him by. Mm-hmm. Well, I think and, the guy that's playing Willie Loman is even younger than Caden. He's like in his absolutely. late twenties, maybe late twenties, early thirties. You know, Michelle Williams is in her late twenties at this point, yeah. twenty eight or so. Um, and I, I couldn't help but like from my frame of viewing of this time to kind of see it under this view of. You know, especially considering the fluidity of time um, being so discrepant and whatnot, kind of being this kind of overview of one man's kind of falling down that kind of rabbit mm-hmm. hole. Uh, I, I think I think the, a point you made earlier on that and that kind of like plays into that is is life keeps demanding you change parts of yourself. Mm. Um, and going off of what you said where like he keeps seeing like he's gonna find he knows the way to do this right now he knows the way in which to it's perfect yep and it keeps doing that way he keeps doing that way could you grab me another one of the uh, yeah, yeah. IPAs, dude? um he keeps doing thanks so much he keeps doing it that way he keeps doing it that way um and keeps finding new ways but then something else comes in some other new frame of whether it's outside of him being another actor or whether it is another part of his eternal self um 
you know, still being that same actor. Like, mm-hmm. there's things that, that interfere with that. Mm-hmm. There's things that interfere with that ability to see the table sort of thing. It muddles it. Well, um, yeah, like, I never jumped. Like, yeah. you know, he says, a, like, like Sammy, somebody stopped me. Like, somebody he, stopped changed, me. he changed the... She's a trajectory of, of Caden's life in a way. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that, I think it, it's, it confuses the ideas that he's kind of after. So I, I guess my question to you in that way is, is do you see it in that frame of mind? In the frame of mind of, you know, if you're looking for that Plato sort of view of, of clarification. And I, I think I agree in a lot of ways that, that Kaufman is trying to, in a lot of his works... I mean, I think especially, I think this ant kind, and I'm thinking of ending things, and that's not just because it's the most recent, but the, those feel the most raw animosity. Uh, anim, it's trying to do that too. I just don't think it works as well because he's either, doing yeah. a different medium, but yeah. he's trying to do that work. Um, I, I think that's ultimately what he's, what he's also in in the in search for is kind of this reduction and this this ultimate truth, I guess, yeah. behind yeah, 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 yeah. it. Um, but my way of seeing it is life and the things in it clutter that or ruin the sure. frame of that. Yeah, and I think that's where you get like his – I think that's where his theater stuff, where the theater piece kind of are – it is um, the tool with which that he tries to declutter everything. So he keeps talking about like he's going to find the brutal truth in what he's doing – but I think what he doesn't really understand, he I think he kind of, especially in that first iteration of that, where he's like, I'm going to give you a scrap of paper, and it's going to say like a thing, and you have to kind of act the scene with that idea in like the actor's head. But in reality, that's true to life. You know what I mean? That mm-hmm. like, you know, you interact with people with all of these other things happening around you, but it's not the truth of what happened to him. And I think the the beautiful thing about the Sammy incident is that he's like, I never jumped. Somebody stopped me. I never jumped. But I think in a lot of ways he did jump. He wanted to jump. Sammy's jumping articulates the truth of that moment better than the actual truth of that moment. Um, and I think the same thing is true of like... Um, you know, when him and Hazel first get together... And then him sleeping with other Hazel, with the Emily Watson Hazel. He is articulating the... He's articulating the stuff to other Hazel that he should have articulated to Hazel Hazel. There's the feelings of that. As he gets older, it almost seems like the the, the artifice becomes stripped away. And is you're just left even if you've added artifice. So that's why I keep going back to that eulogy scene. There's all this artifice added to it, but what that guy is saying is the truth. Truth, yeah. By the end of the movie, it's the Diane Weist voice in his head has become like he's so detached that, um, like he's it's almost like he's finally living like the truth of everything. Do you think by that point he's clarified? I think so. Okay. And that's where I think the the mess that the world has become is like what he's left in his wake. See, but he, we get the payoff of the bright light, 
the acknowledgement of I know how to do this now. Well, the bright, that's a gray. Well, that, I mean, when he's like, die. And then it just kind of goes... It goes gray. Well, yeah, but, like it's bri- white. but it's brighter than... Than what like, you're seeing. Yeah. But still, the gray means something. I mean, I would love the idea that it's Charlie Coffin saying, like, yeah, even in, even in death, he's just sad. I mean, it's Kaufman, so maybe. Oh, absolutely. I'm interested, from your point of view, you, you mentioned... You said behind the veil. Or the artifice. Behind, no, no, no. Earlier. Talking about Plato. You okay. said like behind the veil a mm. lot. You said the in-between stuff. And what I took from what you were saying there is something you mentioned quite a bit. Um, and this is going to maybe possibly a reach. So Today like, or like, like no, over no, no, the no. course of No, no. Forever. Over, over the course of forever. Um, so let me, let me do the point and then... After I'm finished, cut in and tell me I'm an idiot. I'm getting a lot of Dark Tower stuff here. Oh, yeah. Dark Tower's a big deal to me. But, like, like that... And, and in the fact of, you know, Caden's autobiographical truth isn't the truth, and what he's trying to create, and what the actors are doing might be the truth, but isn't Caden's truth. And... I don't know. I'm trying to figure out biographically for you where you were with like the Dark Tower stuff, like in in our you know the entire behind the veil stuff of King, doing a lot of that similar work, maybe yeah, less yeah. articulately, well, but like there's a lot of that. I mean, what is it called? The Way Station or whatever in in the Dark Wasteland. Tower. Uh, that that middle ground in Dark Tower. That's like that between the Wasteland and between our Earth or whatever. There's oh, like that oh, oh in, yeah, 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 yeah. Spot. Yeah, yeah. Um. But you know, like, well, like kind has, of Dark Tower kind of mentions that well, that's kind of like somewhere where everything lies. Like well, that's where the world actually lies. Is that in between? Space? Well, there's the idea too of the Thinny in the Dark Tower books, or, where there's, there's yeah. I'm not I'm not too familiar with Dark Tower. Yeah, yeah. I'm just my knowledge of Dark Tower comes from what you've told me about and what you're saying about this. Tell me if I'm crazy or not. It feels that those it's really in line with that. Yeah, I mean, there's like aspects of the Dark Tower that I think are really ridiculous. Um, which make it hard. Which Make it hard to like reread it because I've tried and I I hold it in such high esteem. But there's like I think there's a confluence between um, Neil Gaiman's Sandman and The Dark Tower and a yeah, little... I'm not, I haven't read Sam as a movie that's right. Really so there's apt, but... so there's no no I think they're both they work on the same level and I appreciate them the same way and I have an equal problem reading that rereading them now than I did when I initially read or. or that is like the first couple times I reread them after the initial kind of mind blowing experience, which was that. The idea of the, I mean, the idea that I always like found really powerful from the Dark Tower was not the idea of like um, many realities kind of stacked on top of each other that meet at this hub with the beams, which are, are like spokes on a wheel that kind of attach all of these realities together, and the idea that you can kind of fall between realities and all this other stuff. The Dark Tower thing that kind of always appealed to me was the idea that it's really articulated in uh, Wizard and Glass, um, but is is present in a lot of his stuff about like the thinny. The idea that reality is thin in places. But I think one of the reasons I've left the Dark Tower behind is because he's written a bunch of other stuff since then, which I think does that stuff better. So one of my pivotal... If I had to do like a pivotal story or a pivotal book or whatever, I do. If we were doing pivotal books, um, this story would I would just you know bastardize like, like that list, like I bastardized this list for to fit my great pumpkin in, um, and I'd put his story in 
in, which is one of his... Just the letter N? And and I think Revival works on this exact same idea. I and I remember like getting off on and I don't mean literally getting off people like don't worry about that. I'm not, not a dream sequence of an English teacher. Right. Uh, I'm not like Beautiful a things reference. Uh yeah. Uh, My favorite scene in King still. Needful things. It's a it's a great book. Um except for the fact that it isn't. Um But it's interesting. Um is so in 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 and in revival, the horror for me, or the really interesting part, comes from the idea of knowing that just beyond the veil is and this is this is all Lovecraft stuff, but I find Lovecraft really tiring. Um, so does everyone uh, amongst who reads a, books amongst a bunch of other stuff. Um, and I think I think King does it, it. It is better in the hands of someone who treats it as a cool idea rather than like a way to understand why a person has to live in the same like a white person has to live in the same world as a black person which i think is why (laughs) i think is what lovecraft was doing back then um n has this and revival has this n has a field in maine where there are eight stones uh, which are holding in a darkness and uh, obsessive compulsive behavior is reframed in that story, um, I think, rather excellently as um, a process by which people are holding in the dark. It's almost like an incantation thing. You know what I mean? By counting, by placing things, by obsessing over like the numbers and, and things or like how your shoes are tied or how you feel or whatever that stuff, you're actually serving a greater need um which is holding a cthulhu type monster at bay and then, um, i guess i ask is this similar to where like like obviously that is metaphorical to towards like internal demons like king is doing all that to say like <laughs> respond to that and like is this similar to where like it's everything's burying down 100% in the level percent similar Okay. The genius of this movie, or the reason that this movie affects me more than almost anything else, is because he kind of does some of the same stuff. You know what I mean? Where he's he's framed it in this very surreal way. There's very surreal touches, like the fact that like civilization seems to be ending both outside the bunker and inside the bunker. There's um, Hazel's house, which is on fire. There's... Like Adele's, I'm so, I'm so concerned about dying. <laughs> What's the fire? Yeah. Well, it's always a hard choice how we choose to die. <laughs> and Derek, who lives in the basement in his underpants, but who is like featured throughout like the whole rest of the movie. Um, there's like all that stuff. The like even like s- simple ideas which are crazy. The idea that Tom Noonan is following him for for 20 years. Um, you know, there's that great scene where they're sitting on the the fire escape in that zeppelin goes by with the lights and you're just like what is like what is happening that also that's like a real mist like quality to it oh too. it's great um especially the sound of and it. it kind of and it and it plays a little bit like that there's like a, there's some of that like existential horror stuff happening in in this too i would say there's it's all throughout it right but it's the beauty and the thing that fucking hurts to watch this movie is that the emotions are so real I mean, King could... I love Stephen King. I think he's great. He could never, ever achieve any of the complex, the complexity of emotion that Charlie Kaufman achieves in 
in this. I think most novelists could not achieve the complexity of emotion in this. This is a this is a film first and foremost because he's using every aspect of all mediums to deliver you not like a, an interesting story to deliver you a series of crushing emotional blows that you either want or you don't. And like I always want to be crushed emotionally. Yeah, I, I guess I guess I, I would ask like I, I would would you know would ask that of of you like coming into this you know your your love of something like Gravity's Rainbow or of King's existential horror or of um, the New York Paul Astor's New York trilogy Ooh, kind yeah. of having all that kind of real existential dread under current sure. to it, but it has or um, Dom DeLillo. Mm-hmm. Uh, like Don, Don, Don DeLille, having like all of that, but only being able to do it in one way. Um, I'm not too familiar with the excess. It seems as though a lot of the music you like at that point had a lot of that similar sort of existentialism to it. Has that similar sort of just kind of I don't know. It, it, tell me if I'm it's wrong with that, just, but, but I, I don't necessarily yeah. know with music. Um, it's for, I, I, that might be reaching, yeah, yeah. but now literature is what I know, so I'll stick with that. Yeah, was searching for that. And it does – do you feel as though, like, those were things that were kind of, like, tapping into the way you felt, the way you thought psychologically, and the things you needed? Yeah. Like, like having that, that, that existential crisis of wanting to see something for what it really right. is and being frustrated that you couldn't describe it and couldn't really understand it. Like, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. cork or whatever. And then this film – worked for you because it is presenting as we talked about throughout the entire history of this podcast it throws everything all at once at you it, it kind of uh, did it present like that kind of dimensionality yeah what it. I would say is that, like I I, I I wouldn't go so far as to say that I was frustrated with like not having it defined for me but I was but, definitely open to I've always been really open or maybe not always but for a very long time at least from when I was like 16 years old and on been very open to the idea of having my ass kicked like like artistically by a thing um i think by this i think in 2008 i think i was still processing um i was still processing music in a way and i think we've talked about this on the podcast yeah like i guess i guess was was, like where were you in the process of everything i guess at that point right and i I mean you're i I was in the process of recently Recently, not recently engaged. I was about to get married, married in this 2000, year. Yeah. right. So I'm in the process of. I mean, in, in, I mean, you get you get married. You have to get married soon after this because you like a, a month? month after that. Yeah, yeah, November. Um, so I'm in the. I mean, in, in a lot of ways, I'm in the process of everything. Um, I like started like a job that I think I thought was stupid at like a sign company. Um, so I was still <laughs> looking for like you thought it was stupid and. To this day, it's still stupid. stupid. Well, I mean, like I've said to like every interview that I, I mean, I'm, I said it to um, recently in, in an interview. Um, I never wanted to leave National Record Mart in 2001, but the company went bankrupt, so I had to leave. I didn't want to leave B. Dalton in 2005, but they closed my store because they were going to open a Barnes and Nobles across the street, which they didn't do for three years. I didn't. And then I just f- drifted around for like a bunch of years until I got to the bookstore. Barnes and, I, and Noble is at Southern, yeah, Barnes. <laughs> but exactly, and I wouldn't. I would never have left that job if 
like my kid didn't need me to stay home with him. I mean, like I had found there was aspects of myself which I I knew about, and I I they were defined already, and I knew I wanted to keep doing them, and I would have just done them forever. I mean, there's a there's a world a universe that exists on some level of the tower where me, Lauren, and Larry are still like the three managers at the Barnes and Nobles at Southern, and we're just like and Becky. And Becky's still there, maybe. And we're talking about Tom Petty, and Lauren is rolling her eyes and wishing she was dead, and, like, how much she hates us and wants Larry to leave so she could be manager, and then I want Lauren's job, and then I want Lauren to leave so I could be manager, and all this other stuff. There's a, a world where that shit is happening right now, where I'm sitting on a fucking box in Larry's office, and we're talking about preparing for Rush or for buyback, and I'm hiring people, and blah, 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 blah. Um, there is all that stuff. So there is... There's like in a lot of ways, there's like a for for a long time there's like a constant processing, and then but and then there's like autobiographical stuff in my life too that I was still processing that I was processing until like we were working at the bookstore and Krista made like a really shitty comment and it ended up being like a fucking really profound comment um, to like the rest of my existence processing processing processing, um, the thing that I I took away from Snecticky New York in terms of like that processing is that is I think coupled with some of the stuff that I'm working on now uh, as I merge into being like a writer which makes me want to throw up to say Um, but it's just like how you look at things it's it's the things that you take away from your experience it's it's not just like it's not just like coming here to do the podcast, you know what I mean? It's all the stuff like around it. Like it there's like a uni- we've created like a weird universe here. You know what I mean? That only exists when we sit at this goddamn fucking table or the pallet table. Yeah, I was going to say before. really 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 quick thank you to the old pallet table. Thank you to the chairs which with I was constantly picking off the faux whatever the yeah. vinyl on the thing. Um there's like a weird... You We're know, adults and, now in you know, chairs. And you know why it's always weird when... I mean, I love when JP comes because I think JP's great. JP's one of my best friends. Come over JP next week. Um, it's weird when people come here because it's they're just not part of our world. I mean, it's... This is... But it, it, it's not just about sitting down and talking about movies. It's... I don't know. Beer tastes different here. You know what doesn't... Has tasted not as good in other settings is the... Um, the fat orange cat, uh, the white stout, uh, all all cats, cats look gray in the dark. Um, yeah. Is is still really tasty. It doesn't taste like that tasted here. I'm pretty sure Kent Falls substrate doesn't exist. I think we just made it up. We're 125 stories in the air, so that's right. So we could be to- atmosphere. We could be totally fucking out of it. But I've ne- I saw it that one time. I bought it. Never seen it again. I've never seen it. Since never that. even. It's. I mean, it's on their website. On like the twentieth page of like the list of beers that they've made, and they only have seventeen pages, which is weird. <laughs> um, but that's, I mean, but that's kind of, you know, I, we had a conversation about sandwiches. We talked about munchies before. My mind is like, you must, you require sandwiches. Buffalo wings from R.G. Moore's, I'm pretty sure, aren't going to taste the same outside of this place. Th- places and sensations and perceptions. All that stuff matter, and I think in perspective, in in just in in life, and I'm not gonna on my deathbed. I'm not gonna say like, 
the truth of my life is contained within like a plate of Archie Moore's buffalo nachos. I will. Yeah, I mean, maybe I will. I don't know. Um, but what this movie is suggesting is that the truth of any situation is contained within the unsaid and the details that you didn't even notice were there. The tangible, I guess. Like, 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 well, like, it's like did this movie give you like a tangibility? Oh, sense? I mean, it's a Charlie Kaufman movie, so it's everything's everything feels like it's it's very real. Even the very fake-looking, like, um, backgrounds and, and, and stuff that he goes into, like, at the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. But I think I look at somebody like Sammy's character, who is following him around. He's in the background of everything. Um, he is literally a physical manifestation of the idea that what's happening outside of the realm of your perception is often the thing that matters most to your life. So something a fucking uh, faucet handle can hit you in the goddamn head. But that isn't the thing that like you should have been paying attention to. You know what I mean? Like there's so many other things that are happening underneath the surface of whatever is happening to you that make that thing as powerful and as significant as it is. Um, where does like some of the sad elements of this movie come in? Um, or, or how does that like those, those sad elements reflect in that idea? I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I think it's probably because if, it, if, it, if the movie has a message, it's that you were too busy looking at the big picture and not focusing on like those details. So like, we only get a we only get a, a sensation of what the green jacket means, or we only get a sense of what the green jacket might mean when we're hearing it through his daughters, or yeah, when we're hearing it through his daughter's voice. Hmm. You know what I mean? Um, she likes pink things, so he gets her this box that says it's a nose, and then it's maybe there's some stuff in it. I don't know, but then the box shows up. It's this idea that like she likes pink. I will get her something pink, and she will like it. The idea, I think, juxtaposed to the the tattoos are like the idea that there's all that stuff. is. I think that tattoo is a really interesting thing because it becomes a part of your blood. You know what I mean? It becomes a part of your skin. It poisons her. It's not. In that that scene, it's what poisons her. It's not an external thing. It's an internal thing. And Caden just kind of, he can't. And that's why, that's why I love the idea when that doctor's like the eyes are connected to the brain, and he's or the eyes are like part, part of the brain. Of the brain. Yeah. He's like that's that doesn't sound right. The idea that you can't even you can't see Adele's paintings without extra eyes is like super profound. Like it's it's well, it's show it's 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 like another physical manifestation of the idea of subtext you have to look inside yourself to see the real stuff and Caden just keeps running into this idea that he doesn't have that he keeps running into that idea when he tries too much to just play off the surface of everything I guess I guess that's an interesting question to ask you do you think he's 
his own worst enemy, or do you? Because I think you could oh, see this movie. Hundred percent. I think you could see yeah. this movie in two ways, though. I think you could see like the outside world being kind of something that's holding him back, in addition to his own problems. But you could also see the outside world not being an issue at all, and everything being within him. Like I think the great example is that eyes are a part of the brain, mm-hmm. and he says like that's not right. Even though logically, a viewer would be like, no, eyes yeah. are a part of the brain. Um, but it would be it would be you know from our multiple discussions on Kaufman a Kaufman thing to be like no they're not you know well, just just the for thing, the sake it's of a joke thing. yeah but it's also very serious yeah absolutely um, do you think for yourself and when you saw this in two thousand eight and when you still see it today like do you see that has like Caden is his own worst enemy in his pursuit to purge himself of all of this to see what he needs to see. Mm. So I think you have to kind of look no further than, like, the super great and weird, but also really great, let's say it again, um, Hope Davis. It's like, it's like her psychiatrist character, where she's totally played for laughs. She's a psychiatrist, but she's like a totally surface psychiatrist. Like, everything that Caden says to her is meaningless. Um... And she's just trying to sell him books. It's this idea that, um, I don't know. I don't know what his, I, I, I wouldn't go so far as to say that, like, Charlie Kaufman has a problem with psychiatry. Um, but I think what he's saying is that there's work to do beyond, like, that surface level stuff. Yeah, so yeah. he's totally his own worst enemy because he consistently chooses and maybe that's maybe it's like Charlie Kaufman's commentary to like the world outside of this movie or the world that he made the movie in which is that we consistently try to look for answers in these very ultimately surface level places um when in reality to get where you need to be to be happy with yourself you have to you have to go deeper than even like, I mean, the surface can be as deep as it, as it is, but there's a point. There's always a point. Again, the genius of this movie, like there's four sound stages. Yeah, I was going to say like, you how many I mean? sound stages do you have to go in? To get to the, to get to the truth, to get to the, the knowledge of who you are, which is some, what you're which doing. Is, which is from something. Like that entire idea of like, from something I've read. Historically, oh, I don't know, but I can't remember what it was. I mean, I know there's. I mean, my parallel maybe Shrek. Yeah. <laughs> what happened to Shrek? Well, the Onion. Uh, maybe Charlie Kaufman really loved the Onion scene in Shrek. Well, my, I mean, my parallel for this was there's a Stephen Milhauser story called like in the Court of King Herod or something, where there's um, uh, uh, court like miniaturist and he makes like. House it makes like doll houses, um, you know, as as uh, fantastical kings are are want to have have you know what I mean they want all these fantastic things so the 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 king decrees that you know he's gonna make this guy is gonna make a a, a miniature version of the castle mm-hmm. and then inherently a miniature version of the castle has to have 
a miniature version of the miniature version of the castle that's inside the castle. Yeah, that's that's exactly. This might just and be so, an old story. I think it's just like a thing that like ha- I think it's probably a a, a myth mythological. Yeah. Or not even mythological, which is like an old kind of narrative trope that gets used from time to time. I almost time. think it's like a Twilight Zone or Outer Limits thing. I'm, oh, I'm totally. From. I mean, it has I to be. Yeah. I didn't watch a lot of Twilight Zones or Outer Limits. I actually watched more Outer Limits than I think I I remember. I remember watching a lot of Outer Limits at the time. Nineties one or the nineties one? Oh. Yeah. There's um, a sixties one. Is there? Nobody watched. Yeah. Um. So, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me to find out that both of them did that. Or even that, like, Jordan Peele's new one, like, did a version of that. Or the Forrest Whitaker one from UPN in 2003. But no, it, it, I, 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 do, I do see that. It's just like this... this it's interesting to, to see that perspective. Because I, I can see... I could have seen you seeing it both ways. Seeing like him being his own worst enemy versus like all this filth from the outside cluttering his vision and what the world actually is. Well, because that's I mean, so because just... because you have so many things in your biography of of appreciation of art, and, and what's interesting about this movie is like I knew this or Ghost World was going to be your number one. Uh-huh. I had a pretty good idea of like Ghost World would have been in your number like up there, and mm-hmm. you know I was fairly close to that. This, I didn't have an idea, because, like, there was these two very kind of confrontational sides of, like, the out, of like the self in conflict and the outside in conflict. Well, I think the thing about this movie is that he's, I mean... And it does both well, though. Yeah, and I think it clearly shows him, and Philip Seymour, I mean, he's so fucking good in this, and it, this is the movie that makes me, like, the saddest... When I think I think about him and like what we're not getting anymore, um, he doesn't. He doesn't want to go to certain places. It's actually also a bummer from a Samantha Morton standpoint that she never became a thing. <laughs> but I mean, it's a, I mean, it's a minor, it's a, it's a less thing because she's less of a focus. But like, I think I didn't realize she was a- capable of this sort of work. I have a bunch of bummer moments in my things where like I just wish that there were more Tom Noonan performances where like he got to just. Be amazing, and I wish there was more. Like in Rachel he, getting, he got, he got a chance. And... Oh, I mean, he's sure. I mean, he's in, he's in stuff, but like, but no, he got a chance. But like, he doesn't nail it. In um, oh, in Manhunter, no, in Amalisa, and um, oh, oh, um, well, I mean, he's just a voice in Amalisa. But I don't know. Anomalisa, I think, is just poor. The stakes of Anomalisa aren't right. Maybe it's the the idea that this guy, who's I've always you know, kind of thought Tom Noonan was the, was the problem with that movie. Oh, see, I always just thought it was the I thought it was like the um, the medium, the conceit, mm. the idea that like oh he's just a guy who's like a, a regular business guy who is having an existential crisis in a hotel doesn't like mean anything to me. Even okay. even if Paul Thomas Anderson steals from it to make like Phantom Thread, like it still doesn't it still doesn't do it. I mean, it makes it, it like helps me, but I think. Paul Thomas Anderson ended up doing a better in Phantom Thread with like the breakfast, the breakfast eating scene yeah, yeah, yeah. and like those sounds. Um, but back the, to Philip Seymour Hoffman, sorry. Oh, so he's he clearly doesn't want to go. He doesn't want to go to some of these places, but he keeps, and that's why the Diane Weist character is so fucking important because she makes these people do the thing that he doesn't want to do. So he wants to just relive the scene. But he doesn't want to access the truth of the scene. 
because the truth of the scene clearly fucking hurts him. You know what I mean? He wants to hire an actor to play himself. But he doesn't want to hire an actor uh, to show him himself. And so when when Sammy rattles off that shit about the Chimera, it just fucking ruins him. And he doesn't necessarily want to be ruined. No. He just he thinks he knows what the truth of every given situation is because he's replicating that situation in like a, a full um, simulacrum of that situation. So like there's there's the moment where he's having that fight with um, when he, he shows those two actors having him playing him and Michelle Williams like having a fight in the apartment. He's like, this isn't real. Just wall this all, all up. Yeah. And that's what he thinks is the not real part of it. But in reality, it's because that what he's having them depict doesn't get to the subtext. Doesn't get to like the stuff that's underneath whatever that fight was about. I mean, that's the great thing about this movie, too, if you kind of study this. And I definitely haven't studied it. I'm just talking and it's kind of coming to me. Um, but I've definitely thought about it. Is the idea that, like, a lot of times when they have fights, they don't really say, like, very fighty things. So, like, that fight that he has with Michelle Williams that's then depicted in that thing, like, he has that conversation about menstruation. Like, you smell like menstru- uh, uh, like you're menstruating and cleaning products. And he's like, well, I don't menstruate, so how can I... You know what I mean? So there, it's, like, funny. There's humor there. There's avoidance there, but in reality, there's an undercurrent of of truth that he's not touching, and Sammy touches it, and then Diane Weiss touches it, and then it isn't until the very end of the movie that we get a sense that he understands the nature of his own existence in relationship to everybody else, um, and then by then he's dead, um, but at least I think he, I think he kind of got that, and but although I do like the idea that it's not like. A white screen, so maybe he's not as far along like, as like, he, he wants to it, be. Yeah. Um, but he's like he's working towards that, and that's I mean, like you can credit like John Bryan's score. I mean, John Bryan I think is one of those like very um, uh, polarizing uh, figures in cinema. I think I didn't really notice the score in this. Oh, but it's because that's that's the thing. It's just maybe because it's, it's just so it's kind of thing. there. And it does stuff, and it's it. There's a lot of different themes that are kind of running through it, but it hits. And I feel I kind of now that you said that, I kind of feel the same way because you don't often notice that it's there until it's been going on for a little bit, and it's so well undergirded everything that's happening, um, but without kind of making a big show of it. You're just letting these actors kind of do all this work. It's such an amazing movie. Um, I love it so much. And it's one of the, I, I, so wait, why is the score so big to you though? Like oh, just because it's it's like it's slight, but it's fun when it has to be fun. But it's really like um, I don't know. Dark is not the word, but it articulates I think some of the, like the emotions of this movie really really well. Where there's like I don't want to say hopefulness because that's hopeful. Hope is not the right word here. There's um, it's like almost like a reality and like a a a, a, a hyper reality kind of expressed in the score, where the reality is kind of like a normal score move, and then the hyper reality or the subtext contained within the score is a kind of sad like lines end with sad notes 
or a score shifts from um, like a run, like a, almost like a riff into like a series of, of, of chords that betray that sadness or that like articulate that sadness or like express like almost like highlight the sadness of a scene rather than kind of like underlining it and circling it and like putting exclamation points next to it and annotating it it's just kind of like look at like it's like it's like a supporting thing it's like a it's like a fucking bra or something for the whole movie um you don't always know that it's... I mean, maybe I'm saying that because like, I don't wear a bra. So maybe women always know that they're wearing a bra. But it's one of those things you don't think about. It's just kind of there. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, But it's doing all the work that it needs that, that it needs to do. But it's also... It's clever. It's not, like, heavy. Even though it's, it, the emotions are heavy, the actual music isn't, isn't like, very heavy. Um... I don't know. It's just it's it's. I, I just I I didn't magic time. I didn't notice Did it. you like it? The mu- I mean the the movie. No, I do. I do. Um, for. Um, not as close reasons as you. I think it's like the best film version of Ant Kind I've seen. Oh yeah, I mean the film the film version of Ant Kind is gonna be fucking crazy. Yeah. But it, um, whatever that. I, I I didn't watch this movie from a perspective of do I like it. I watched it from a perspective of like figuring out what it meant. That's why you. this podcast sucks ass. Yeah. No, because I watched. Because, I did. I did watch of it. that like exact reason. I mean, I did watch it to see if I enjoyed it, but I also watched it. Um, sorry, I ordered pizza. Uh, to see if like. Um, I mean, I did ultimately watch it because I was like, I wanted to figure out, I wanted to see it in a way where I wasn't creating this really strongly opinionated view. I I like a lot of it, I think. I mean, I I guess I'll do this. Um, I'll do my, like, because you did it with Portrait of a Lady on Fire. I'll do it for myself. Um, I enjoy it. I think sometimes it gets a little stuck up its own ass. At points, um, it gets stuck up its own ass during its m- middle part of its like third act, uh, where in particular Hazel comes back to the city. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I I think that kind of gets long in the tooth um, because it tries to ground itself, but it tries to ground itself while also being in that kind of crazy world. And when that like when Caden tries to jump off the roof and the guy has to stop him and whatnot, I'm like. Mm. You just kind of like mixed your your stories here. Well, you mixed for- like the craziness of the world, and I understand that it, it plays a, an important part with Sammy's mm-hmm. jumping off later. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it just felt so out of tune with what Caden is. See, for me, it was when his parents died because I forgot he had parents. Oh, see, see, because I, when he when see, his parents no, died, but every the- time his parents, one of his parents would die, I'd be like, "Oh yeah, he has parents." When his dad dies. And um, the one woman, I can't remember who, I don't remember if she was like a significant character, but says like, there's so little left to him. And then it's a fucking miniature casket dropping into the ground. No, no. I he laugh. says, he says that. That's a, oh. He's like, he's like, my dad, my dad died. He went, he went to the hospital because he had a hurt. His, oh, his body was riddled with cancer. He went to the hospital because his finger hurt. 
But no, no, the woman says to him, like, there was so there was so little left of, like, at the funeral. Oh, no, but I thought he said, like, oh, there was so little left of. No, no, oh, the no, woman says, says it, it's yeah. Two, it's like, it's and then, one right And then the it other, cuts yeah. down to the, the very tiny, small yeah. casket. Like, I love that, just because that is fully, like, oh. into the, the mindset of it. And I think, for me, like, the part where the film tries to ground itself, where he's, like, in his... You know, supposed to be in his late forties, early fifties, or whatever. When where his legs like, start shaking, yeah, where it tries to like reground itself, I kind of lose. It lost me a bit. Um, mm-hmm. Overall, besides that, though, I, I I like it quite a bit. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if it's one of those things. And I'm not like I don't want to put like ideas in your head. If it's if it's not, it's not a, it's it's never going to be. I'm thinking of ending things for me. No, no, I no. think I'm thinking of ending things. Is um, I don't. I, I find this movie to not be a has-well-read Charlie Kaufman. And I think I like Charlie Kaufman when Charlie Kaufman, like, is so... I'm always of the mind of, like, I'm always so... I love... Me and you love Charlie Kaufman for the same reason. Mm-hmm. But I want that kind of creator or that kind of writer to, like, defend his arguments. Mm. And by the time mm. he does, I'm thinking of ending things. He's like, the reason I feel this way is because of this. Constructor... This, 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 yeah. this. Yeah, yeah, It's I mean... It's it's, whereas this is kind of like a feeling. He's like, I feel this way. So here's like a a scene. There's a weird. I mean, not maybe it's not weird. There's an appropriate cynicism to him thinking of ending things that isn't here, where mm. this is still like really in in like if you compare them, this is a very hopeful movie. That the idea that like you can figure this out and you can be a whole person maybe one day, and like here are all these opportunities and all these people. I'm who, thinking. Of- and all these people who love you that want to like help you on your way, and then I'm thinking of anything is like, yeah, life fucking stinks. I'm thinking of anything is still help hopeful though, compared well, to the original text. Oh sure, well the original text is really lazy. The it is lazy. Text is like a but murder the mystery. The fact that Charlie Kaufman decided to take anything he wanted and decided to take a move, take a book that was the opposite of hopeful, and then add something to a post-credit scenes of the car starting up again. Right. You know, not the guy fucking killing himself, but decided to actually throw that in there, um, and, and the car starting up, and it maybe potentially being that guy like deciding like, no, I'm not going to do this. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking of it, but I'm not going to do it. Speaks volumes as to what Charlie Kaufman is. He's but still think, he's still in that volume of like, nah, but maybe. I think the difference between the two things in terms of hope is that. There are other people in this movie. Yeah. And there is nobody in I'm Thinking of Ending Things. And, and I'm Thinking of Ending Things is, is also backed by a lot of strong arguments in defense of his negative standpoint. Oh, sure. Like, Sedecti New York is kind of like in that spot where it's just like, I'm unsure. Like, and and it, it, I think it works better from like a point of... I think it works better from an actual real life standpoint i'm thinking of ending things as much as i like it it's too cynical for me oh, like it's so it's, cynical. it's it, it's but it's unna- it, it's no longer human yeah oh like but, it's it's beyond the pale it is like but in a lot of ways it is an argument for like this very artistic sort of a new and artistic sort of molasse and molasse is that the malaise. word malaise malaise and no it, you know I, what molasses molasses yeah artistic molasses <laughs> i mean that's awesome um, i mean i think for me too I think they both. The, I think the difference for me is that, like, because I connect with the emotions of Snecky so much, it's it's feeling the length that it feels doesn't ever 
bother me. Like, I, it feels like it's eight hours long, but it also just kind of, it just it, keeps going. It is amazing. It, I'm thinking felt, of, it felt like an appropriate length to I'm me. thinking of ending things just feels, there's a point it where it feels interminable. interminable. Yeah. I mean, and it's, it's amazing, but there's a point where like an hour and maybe 20 minutes in, you're like, well, how long have I been watching this it's movie? It's beating you down, yeah. And and it's when you see that you still have an hour left, you're like, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know if I, I, guess I don't know like if I, I have I, it I in me. Gotta do it. I don't know. Oh, of course, that was my number one movie of last year. That I'm saying that about. My number. Love it. My number two, I think. Yeah. Yeah, two. Uh, there it is. No, but but I I, I get it um, from your standpoint. I'm, I was I'm curious. I, I don't know. I felt like I forced in the, the King reference, but like when you mentioned all those things. No, it's, I mean, that's the that's thing. If I was to make a pivotal, you know, I mentioned pivotal books before, and I have this list. I don't have it in this current iteration of my wallet because it's like a trifold, and it just, I didn't know it was a trifold when I bought it, and now I'm just like just stuck with it everything. forever because I can't put like folded up pieces of paper in it without the wallet becoming humongous. Um, I have a list. Just put it in the front and your dick looks gigantic. <laughs> Square, but gigantic. What is that? It's my list of my favorite things. Oh, it's my favorite things. And people will be like, ooh, cool. Um, no, they won't do that. Um, the big that's sexual harassment. And I'll be like, you sexually harassed me for, you know, asking me questions about my area. 4D chest. Um, I have a list of my pivotal books and i'm just for fun the other day made a list of my tried to make a list of my hundred like like if we were to do a pivotal album list i was like what would be on this and the reason i could we could never do a pivotal album list is because i made a, a list of like 130 albums uh without having to look anything up the bigger reason is I, I couldn't name a hundred albums still. No, I just wanted to, I mean, we just even think of like a po- like from a podcast app, but just like, could I do it? Mm. And I was just like, I can't do it because without even looking at my collection of records, I made this list of records and I don't know how to get rid of like Sorry. the last one I wrote down versus like the first one I wrote down. Yeah. It's just like impossible to me. Um, but Dark Tower is on that. I mean, Dark Tower as an entity is on that list. Uh, Sandman as an entity is is on that list, and for, is it all for like biographically similar? Reasons? It's like roughly. It's 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 for. And I think they're not like a, as emotion. They'd definitely be very low on that list because there's not like an emotional. Uh, oh, absolutely, I, I meant like just like kind it. of like the same frame or position of philosoph- philosophical yeah. mindset. Sandman would be on there because from looking at it from that perspective, Sandman kind of touches on um an interconnectedness of time which is something i'm really like like kind of interested in the idea that like i'm occupying and again it's all it's all personal stuff and i hope everyone gets that um <laughs> i mean it's, it's been i'm not telling you how to acknowledge sandman listeners it's the idea that like you're occupying time while simultaneously occupying this time while simultaneously occupying all time because you can live inside of books and dreams and music and by reading Shakespeare you're somehow like connecting with Shakespeare by reading like Melville you're connecting with Melville by listening to Miles Davis you're somehow connecting with Miles Davis all that stuff I think is inter- is is uh, contained within like the Sandman kind of ethos 
um, especially in relation to like myths and legend and history. Um, the Dark Tower kind of operates on the same way, except the Dark Tower is more like an immersive experience of occupying Stephen King's own like Stephen King canonizing himself and then letting you occupy his interpretation of that canon. Um, I've found is like really I found just kind of uh, unbelievable when I when I'm in it. And then when you're out of it, you're like, wow, those books are really stupid. <laughs> but like when you're fucking in it, when you're like absorbed wholly in that in that idea, I mean, it was I lost myself for a long time when What's the it? seventh book came out. I think that's intentional. Oh sure. I mean like and, King King knows like his limits, but he's Sure. I mean, it contained within those seven books is one of the worst books he's ever written. I mean, Dark Tower 6, Song of Susanna... That's right, I say Song of Susanna. easily one of... <laughs> I've just heard, one I've of heard the worst books that, he's but... ever written. One of the worst books of all time. It's fucking terrible. And he's written... He's written, like, several of the worst books of all time. Song of Susanna, Insomnia, um, Lizzie's Story... Desperation. See, I never, I never got into the, the Desperation um, the Regulators thing. I tried it, but I'm just saying it was bad. I never say so I want to know. I want to know. I've always wanted to. It always looked cool, but I know I feel dumb. Yeah. I don't know. Any last any last thoughts on Seducting New York? Any last thoughts on the the podcast? No, because we'll be here next week to talk about the Oscars and and, and something pa- and Paul Thomas Anderson movies. Well, and, that'll be a, and, that'll be a couple of weeks from that after yeah. that. And I'll throw in my thoughts on Mortal Kombat. I might. So maybe we'll do Mortal Kombat in the Oscars. So I the reviews watched, are good. Yeah, I watched the first seven minutes of it. By the way, the violence it is the violence is like pretty okay. I'm confused as to what how everyone. Do you think that there's like a a thing happening with like it's the best way to end like the number one yeah, for sure? Probably. Do you think there's a thing happening with like video game movies where like they've been somehow reassessed? To people the point just where like them, people meet them where they are now. Really, you don't think they're trying to like. So before you were saying that people were just like, this is not a good movie, and now people are being like, this is a pretty good video game movie. Because I think, I think Prince of Persia, the Jake Gyllenhaal, uh, Gemma Arditon one, doesn't get negative reviews now. It gets like, it's a pretty, it's doing what it needs to do. Mm. You know, I don't... It, Did you watch Sonic yet? Yeah, it's fine. It is. It's good. It's entertaining. It does what it's supposed to do. It's my son's favorite movie. Um... We watch it all the time. <laughs> but, like, I, from, I watched, like, the first bit of Mortal Kombat, and I was, like, I, I was actually really impressed, but, like, I very much expected, and, you know, maybe this changes, like, as the movie goes on, but, like, they released, like, the first ten minutes of it. I was really impressed by how much they held back with the gore. Hmm. Like, the gore is, like, it's gory. Like, there's, like, knives going on the top of people's heads and arms getting chopped off, but it, I fully expected... Hellboy levels of over the top gore, and mm-hmm. it's just like, no. Hmm. And so, like, yeah. if it does that, I mean, it's not shot really well, and it's really corny and over the top. But if it keeps doing what it does in the first ten minutes for ninety some minutes, I'll probably give it a good review. Well, it's, I mean, because I'm not listen. Expecting I don't have anything, anything. I don't have anything else to watch. If I have a free, if I have, a free I do want to see somebody time, get cut in half. I'm sure someone will get cut in half. Vertically. I do also want to see a really horrible claymation Goro. Do you think we're going to get that? 
Uh, is it Goro? Goro, Goro right? Goro, Goro's in it, but he, he's... It's he's, not Claymation? He's CGI, yeah. Fuck. Come on, man. Claymation it's, Goro was the yeah. best part of the first movie. With this like, huge torso. Well, Ray... Ray uh, was it? Ray has... What the hell was his name that did um, like Clash of the Titans and all that? Ray... Um, has her, you know what I'm talking oh, about. I know what you're talking about, but I remember the name. Yeah. If you listen to this podcast, you know who we're talking about. I'm not going to fuck yeah. that up. Um, he was, he's dead, so he can't, he can't do that. Ah, it's too bad. I love Claymation Goro. It was so bad. His torso was so big. <laughs> and we don't get Christopher Lambert as Raiden anymore. Or um, James Ramar. Oh, no. Or Brigitte. Uh, what's her name? Bridget, Bridget Wilson. Oh, yeah, right. With Sonya. Yeah. Yeah, I'm expecting. I'm oh, expecting man. nothing for that movie. Uh, like literally, it will get a positive review for me if it does one. If it does two things: one, the fight scenes are shot where I can see them, and two, it doesn't do Hellboy gore. Mm. You do those two things, Mortal Kombat, you're getting, you're getting a, a good review from Mario. Oh, let's see. That's a reason to tune in next week. There's no list, but a possibly yeah, there's, good there's no Mortal list Kombat ever again. We'll talk about. Uh, Mario will be sad talking about no bad land with best picture but excited because actor could be potentially interesting I mean well, one or two people are going to win and I'm happy with either of those two people winning I've talked about this for on, on Reddit and whatnot I'm happy with four of those actors winning yeah and the one person who I'm not happy with will Gary Oldman's not will winning will not win yeah, yeah. I'm going to be honest with you though if Chadwick Boseman doesn't win it's going to be a big problem the Oscars will have, I mean, not to say that Anthony Hopkins doesn't deserve it, because I think he does, but if he does, if Chadwick Boseman doesn't win, but the you, Oscars have a big problem. You can't, you don't give like, I mean, maybe, maybe you just give Viola Davis Best Actress, and, and I, I, I'm not, okay, this sounds bad, but like, Viola Davis, it's, and, and I think I Carrie think Mulligan is, are in, Carrie Mulligan and Viola Davis are two in there. I don't know necessarily if if I still give of those nominees Chadwick Boseman best actor personally, it's it would be tough for me. I think you got to do it though, because I, mean, I think he I mean, also. I, I think he know, deserves... knowing knowing me, you know what I do. Give it to Riz Ahmed. No, I give I get I get give it I, to Del I, no, no, I get I get no of the nominees. I I do the coward thing and go like Stephen Yen. Here you go. Both of them win. No, no, no I do the coward thing and make it a tie. What's the thing? I think there's a there's a world because they're doing two different things. There's a world I think in which this is already established, and the winners, the only race that's left is Best Actress, and Viola Davis just wins it. There's another world where everything goes fucking crazy, and Minari kind of kicks everybody's ass. Because Minari is getting this late push of everyone being like, you know what's great? Minari. I mean, if Minari's gonna if Minari has to make like wish and win everything, I'm cool with that. Yep. That means Nomad Land wins nothing. But imagine, I mean, that's it's not Sorry, Nomad Land. It's not impossible. Except your movie fucking sucks. Yes, although when Chloe Zhao wins I will be happy that I'll be happy, one hundred percent happy. This. Especially when she like shits on China again. But um, um, it'll be. I mean, it's. It'll be. It'll be. Um, um, but there's there's a couple interesting races. I think. I think best supporting actress. I think is um basically settled. But yeah. the Oscars. That is the one category the Oscars might Oscar and be like Maria Barkalova wins. Maybe. I mean, um, I, think the, I think the interesting thing. Actress will be interesting, and that's like two really good performances. It's category fraud again. 
but category fraud in the opposite way. I would be happy to see Viola Davis win a Best Supporting Actress for a for leading a best actress yeah, yeah. and a Best Actress for a Best Supporting Actress. Well, what do you think about the fact that my uh, my octopus teacher is is slated to win this thing now? Oh, that's fine. But that's I mean, I think it's for so, documentary. Yeah, I think it's so great. Documentary is so already. I mean, time stinks. Well, everyone was just like, time, uh, time is going to win. Time, 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 time. Time is the only like, of the documentaries. Oh, yeah, my the octopus only... teacher. I mean, I actually still haven't seen my octopus teacher. But of the five documentaries, time is legitimately the only bad one. Well, the and only... the second that they decided, like, we're not going to nominate Dick Johnson is dead. I know, come on. I mean, the, ol- the only bummer for me now in the terms of, like, what people are predicting is that because uh, Trial of Chicago 7 won the uh, Eddie... Which I think is what the editors mm. call their award. The ASA. Now it was it was looking like Sound of Metal for a couple of weeks was gonna take. I think best sound, film but Sound of Metal won the BAFTA, so I think I think Sound of Metal. Still I hope wins. so. I, st- I think I think Sound of Metal still wins that. So that's so my thing for this Oscar. I mean, it's gonna win sound. Right, it's gonna win sound. It's gonna win. It's gonna be an Oscar winner. My thing for this Oscars Mario is that there are multiple levels to how I'm approaching this this year. Is that I would love it if. There was some kind of upset, and that Nomadland didn't win. I would a also, single fucking Oscar. I mean, I would. It's gonna. She's gonna win Best Director. That's kind of almost set in stone at yeah, this point. I guess that's her. Um, my. I hope she, if she does, she goes full in with what she's been doing. My other thing is that I hope I. Trial of Chicago Seven needs to get shut out. I would love it if Mank found a way to lose production design. I'm go- Which is the yeah, only I'm, I'm Oscar okay. that it's like, I'm okay, okay I'm okay. it's uh, slated to win. Like, we're okay with it winning, though. Come on. I'm okay with it winning, except for the fact that I think David Fincher made it to win Oscars. And Netflix was like, oh, this is going to win Oscars. And then they're just like, yeah, you know, no one wants to... No one likes Mank. Everyone but, is like, only just fine with Mank. But I don't know who the production design team was on that but like they did a good job sure give them the fucking the movie's boring i mean it's yeah the movie's boring but you can't blame the production designer for that i will say this i'm uh, there's one category i mean obviously in a world that in could happen world. so like gary oldman's not winning that's no. the what could make me upset yeah if sasha baron cohen no fucking steals daniel kalua's oscar i'll go fucking crazy that's the only thing i care about if if Lakeith Stanfield somehow wins it, I'll be I'll be slightly okay. Did you see I'll be, Richard? I'll be a little better. I'll be I'll be I'll be I'll be unhappy, but I'll be like okay. If Paul Ratzi wins it, I'll be okay. I'll well, be the, unhappy, but I'll be okay. Did you see if fucking Sasha Baron yeah. Cohen wins that fucking Oscar? Oh, crazy! Did you see Richard Brody did an Oscar predictions like article, and it predicted the Oscars in roughly the way that everyone thinks the Oscars are going to go. Except for the fact that he has Paul Rocky winning, he's like, I think Paul Rocky takes it. I wouldn't. I that would be, be amazing. Uh, yeah, I would be shocked. I mean, I'd that be, would be amazing. It wouldn't be the perfect world for me, but the the one thing that would be a positive about that is he will. Ne- I don't think Paul Rocky ever sniffs the Oscars again. Never. Daniel Kaluuya is going to win, unless he dies for some unfortunate reason, which he won't. Daniel Kaluuya is going to win a shit ton of Oscars. Yeah. Daniel Kaluuya is like... I mean... Daniel Kaluuya is like a, a generational he just, actor. He's a... Like, we can admit this. Oh, sure. He's a generational he's actor. He's fantastic. And he deserves to win it. But Keith Stanfield Rocky, will win an Oscar right. at some point. But Paul, Paul Rocky will never be here again. Right. Exactly. And it, if he ends up winning 
that would be. I mean, if he, I'm going to be honest with you, if he wins best, if it wins best sound and best, uh, best supporting actor and best film editing, there's a chance it wins best. <laughs> there's a chance it wins best picture. There's a chance like everything weird happens and they're like, oh, best picture, sound of metal. Or I just like the weird world where it's like, um, where it's like best picture. It's like Judas and the Black Messiah. Well, I, I mean, I thought that was a real thing, but I... Where it's just like it wins screenplay, it wins supporting actor, and it wins picture. Yeah. We'll I'd see. like that. I'd we'll like see that. What happens. We'll see what happens. Just, just not... Just, just, I mean, it's going to be Nomadland, and I'm ready for that. Just just not... I mean, I like Sasha Baron Cohen. Just that's the one category. You can't. Just not Sasha Baron can't. Cohen. And it can't be Glenn Close either. I mean, I don't give a shit. That's supporting act. I mean, yeah. Can't. Can't happen. I don't like it, but like... Can't the support, those categories don't blow my mind as much as... No, but I think when you have... When you have Daniel um, Kaluuya and Paul Ratchie as does. As runner-ups to... And Lakeith Stanfield, the only reason I... Uh, Lakeith Stanfield also... I mean, I guess the only reason Daniel Kaluuya, I'd be okay with him losing is because he needs to be in the best actor category. Cause he, that, because that was a lead yeah, yeah. performance. Um, all right, but that's... I mean, we'll talk about that next week. And if you are really upset... And our Sasha Baron Cohen and want to yell at us, or that you thought you know 100 films wasn't enough and you should have done more, you can go fuck yourself. Or you could tweet us at Film Pivotal. Or you can go to pivotalfilmpodcast.gmail.com and you can send us uh, any messages you want. Or you can go to pivotalfilm.com. And you can see a list of the movies in our top 100 list. Hell which of high, hell of hell high, of high water, water, and um, whatever number equals. I love the equal one. I keep every time I do it, I like acknowledge it and like. Must change. And then by the time I do it, I've forgotten it. Um, but yeah, we'll be back next week with Oscars and Mortal Kombat. And then at some point, we'll be back after that. You know, maybe not the week after, but maybe the week after that. Whatever. We'll be back. We'll be, we'll be on. Paul Thomas Anderson. And then, we'll, and then we'll, we'll be around. We'll be around and we'll, we'll talk about some of the I, stuff that we've seen. You know what? Even, even when Tom's not here, I'm going to do some solo stuff of Spiral. Got that coming. I might bring somebody on for Spiral. Ooh. That might be fun. Ooh. I don't know how to edit any of this, so that 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 episode will sound like garbage. Unless it sounds amazing and you're like an audacity. <laughs> I'm just pro. Like, this is my audacity editing. And you fingers. put like an hour of like you know music behind everything. It's a really dramatic hour long review of Spiral. I somehow create like a Orson Welles style. Like, like War of the Worlds. <laughs> War of the Worlds level audio production. We'll see. The Shadow presents <laughs> the spiral review. Um, yeah, but until then, folks. Um, folks. Until folks. then, drink, keep, drink a movie, see a beer. We'll talk to you. Uh, whatever. In your dreams. Next, well, next week. In your dreams. Well, no, we're going to talk to you next week. Though. Next week. <laughs>